With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Oh, this is Michael Adams. It's nothing but the truthful man's journey to find it. It is September 23rd, 2015. And once again, we have uh, Luminous Arcana from... Uh, out of darkness into light. I said that right. Um, anyways, we're going to be finishing up or having a part two of, uh, I guess it's three now, actually, of our conversation. And uh, Saturday, it was quite a journey, and it was very interesting, so we're looking forward to doing more of that. But before we get started, we'll go to the headline news. Of course, obviously... Uh, Jesuit Pope Franny Francis uh, is here, here down. Showed up yesterday on Atlantia, the uh, uh, airplane Atlantia. I'm sure that's no coincidence with the symbol of uh, the papacy there on it. As he was greeted by uh, Barack and Michael Obama and their, I guess, their kids. Although their daughters didn't seem too thrilled about the whole thing. Uh, along with uh, all the Roman Catholic dignitary and uh, the military <clears throat> that they obviously control, <laughs> at least at the top. And, of course, we know the 33rd Archdiocese is the one to control the U.S. military. First headline, Good Morning America, why Joe Biden is following Pope Francis through his trip. And of course, we know that Joe Biden is a Jesuit. And of course, that would be very natural that he would be doing that, now wouldn't he? And if we paid attention to the past, uh, Decade and a half, it seems that the vice president has been the handler, if not always, of the quote-unquote president of the Corporation of the United States of America. So. Article 3, Mashable, Pope justifies his church nap by appearing to fall asleep during Mass. Well, that's really some important stuff. But, interesting enough, you see him in his mitre, uh, Dagon, but if you also if you'd also you know we think about the obelisk and its representation of the male phallic symbol. If you pay a little more closer attention to that mitre, that hat could also represent the same thing. <clears throat> Giving you a meaning to blank head. My apologies for the, the crass language, but. It seems that whether it's the papacy or if it's Freemasonry, with most of us have been accustomed to wearing that 
invert, inverted obelisk hanging around her neck, pointing to her crotch. That was seems to have no problem with that. Into forgotten even what that means. Uh, okay, uh, Washington Post. Pope Francis is a surprisingly good politician, considering that he's the number one politician in the world. Uh, VOA, can the Pope keep Hispanics in the Catholic Church? <clears throat> of course, that's a big issue. Well, I suppose the big issue of the fact that uh, a large number of the Hispanic population in Latin America are leaving the Catholic Church. Oh, well, whatever sort um, Donald Trump. Donald Trump says Hillary started the whole Obama birther movement. <laughs> How stupid. But anyways, the fact of the matter is, once again, another man who was just really traded for him. He knows all his success to them. That's why he's now playing the role that he's playing. That's how I see it. UPI, Pope Francis declared sainthood for controversial Spanish friar. Uh, of course, the friar, which escapes my name, his escapes my mind right now, it was instrumental in the death and imprisonment, enslavement, and spiritual bondage of many, many thousands of, of native uh, indigenous population of California. Therefore, he has every good enough reason to make him a saint. Uh, good morning, America. Inside Pope Francis, tour of the White House. Once again, named after a Jesuit priest. And it just goes on and on. Justice Scalia is still hopping mad over gay marriage ruling. Of course, we look at the uh, predominantly Jesuit Roman Catholic uh, Supreme Court justices, six of them out of the nine are that, and then three of the papal court Jews, and of course he's got to play his role. They wind up people, get them all agitated and irritated because, you know, that's what we need to do. <laughs> keep in control of the masses. Agitate them, irritate them, keep them in a state of fear, confusion, and morally corrupted. Okay, Fox News, the Pope, religious freedom, and the President's big lie. And so do one more. Obviously, there's tons of them this time around. Well, for something that just, for whatever it's worth, Yogi Berra died. Um... And what a character he was, and most likely Roman Catholic. Um, we discovered last night the majority, if not all, of your late night talk show hosts are Roman Catholic. And so <laughs> that may that may tell you something about who actually is controlling uh, the state of affairs. Uh, oh yeah, CNC. CNN. Pope Francis canonizes this country from state. Okay, another one of those. Donald Trump. Lynn Stephen Corbett's Corbett's show, which both are uh, well, Corbett's self-declared Roman Catholic, 
Um, and of course, as we've got to say, uh, Donald Trump was a trade for him. His son was educated at Georgetown University and all his other children, UPenn, controlled by the Jesuits as well. It's endless tonight. Endless, endless, endless articles on, of course, the Pope. Now, question, folks, once again is, why is this one man, this one organization, why does it dominate the headline news? Did the uh, is the president of, United, of, of China get as much? Uh, is he going to get much play? And anybody does anybody get as much play as this particular uh, individual? I argue, although you do not have to agree with me, but you know God did give us to our, our five senses and our and that ability to see with our own eyes and ears to hear that over and over and over and over and over and over again, the image of the Pope is literally the image of the beast. In my opinion, there could not be a better, more profound, more obvious symbol, image of the Roman Empire and uh, Catholicism and all that it is about. With that, folks, once again, we have uh, uh, Dave with us. And, uh, Dave, I, I appreciate your willingness to come back on. I know you had uh, a busy day yesterday. you got a lot of things going on in life. So and it sounds like you had a nice little adventure there, uh, riding your bike. <laughs> now, did you ride all the way up to the mountain there? No, but uh, you can do that in one day, one long day. I live in Tacoma, and that's closer to uh, the mountain than Seattle. Most of the time, you know, like when you're watching a, a football game, uh-huh. they show the mountain. It's actually not as close as it is from uh, where we see it, you know. <clears throat> it's kind of well, in the backyard. You must be a pretty healthy man. So that's good if you're able to do that. I couldn't do that. I wish I could, but <laughs> I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I lived with for uh, 20 years, and then... Uh, that was a recent two decades in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to be able to do that stuff, but, you know, once I get hit with the yo MS, so I can't do that much. Well, I've been doing yard work around the house, so that was that's reassuring. So I'm going to be bouncing back from my uh, latest relapse. So, But I do admire that. You're willing to do that, do that, and uh but not only take care of yourself, but of your mind and your 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 spirit and uh, soul, and um, that's great. So, man, any comments about anything that I just shared in the past uh, uh, ten minutes? Um, I could add something that you didn't mention. Uh, people are talking about these uh, these horns that uh, Obama is. Uh, I, I normally just ignore him, but. Um, <clears throat> They uh, position these horns in this picture. I'm trying to look at some some moving footage because a lot of times there's fakery on YouTube. There was an older uh, footage of um, that Mark Dice. I don't trust Mark Dice for anything. I just looked at video from 2014. <laughs> yeah, um, but if the footage for 2014 was genuine, they were definitely uh, positioning these horns around his head and. Um, there's 
esoteric significance to that. I mean, people are going to automatically think of, you know, devil's horns, but then when they try to think of a second thing, they'll draw a blank. And so that tells you that when the Illuminati puts these horns on Moses' head in these medieval paintings, you ever seen something like that? That may mean something... Well, yeah, that's not really Moses, though. Who's that supposed to be, actually? Well, we actually don't know, because Uh, um, they would make paintings of people like John the Baptist, and they would represent someone else. And they've actually been doing this all through history, and the common man simply doesn't get it. Now, I believe that uh, John, like, you know, when Leonardo da Vinci would draw John the Baptist, and he would have a single finger in the air, okay? That's not John the Baptist. But um, you see how easy, if if you wanted to deceive people and betray, like, an Osiris-type figure and glorify him, and you have this little nod, nod, wink, wink behind the scenes. You know, we're going to paint John the Baptist, and we will actually put indicators in the painting this that someone else, but they won't get it because they don't understand the language of symbolism. Just imagine how easy it would be to trick people. You know what I mean? Because they're just not going to be able to get past the John Baptist. They're not going to be able to do it. You know? All right. It really does stumble you. It's an occult blind. But, yeah, when he puts that finger up in the air, he's telling you that he's first in rank. Because, you know, you've got to ask yourself the question, why is he putting a single finger in the air? What does it mean? Do you know what it means? So if you want to talk about, about that. You're talking about the Pope? You're talking about the Pope? I'm talking about John the Baptist. Oh. Well, okay. the reason I'm using that as an example to show that they, um, I mean, you would have to believe at this point and illustrate it, um, that they they will portray a person. You actually see this in the Pet Goat 2 video, by the way. This is very obvious. Have you ever seen that? You have a... Uh, you have uh, Oprah, and you have uh, President Bush, and you have uh, Obama, but they ah. clearly represent someone else, you see. I mean, it's clearly obvious after a while. And so who do they represent, you see? Well, it's amazing that they did that because um, they actually pointed to the fact that they've been doing this you know, all through history. You know what I mean? Now, they've done this over and over with uh, the Virgin Mary, and people, people are not getting it. Um, you got to be aware that at least sometimes when they portray the Virgin Mary, it's not her. It's their uh, feminine being. You see that? you got you got to start thinking along the, the possibility, well, hold it here, maybe it's just an occult blind. Okay, so now that you're opening that possibility, I mean, we're not even producing evidence yet, but you you got to seriously consider that. Well, if they're doing that, how often are they doing that? Uh-huh, you see. Now, when they um, exalt uh, the Virgin Mary and give her, uh, you know, oh, virtues, virtues and powers that we know are not compatible with the Bible, uh, you seriously got to consider if she actually represents someone else in a conser- considerable number of these paintings. And they're doing right. something similar with Mary Magdalene. And they're actually um, overlapping these different Marys. Uh, and, and they're telling you secrets. For instance, they have a historical scarlet woman, okay? And the Roman Catholic Church defamed Mary Magdalene, turned it into a prostitute. I don't see any significant evidence for that in Scripture. And it's an unprovable theory. But there is a notorious scarlet woman in, in history, the woman in red. In fact, I was just watching a movie today, the number 23, which I don't recommend, 
because it has um they're like three sex scenes, but it's just it's really moaning in the background. They don't really show that much. But just because of that, you can't recommend that to a person. But I wasn't interested in that kind of stuff. I'm looking at these numbers that's thrown around. It's completely off the charts. They're talking about this uh, number 23, Enigma, which actually has to do with today. Okay, but it, just the movie that I talked about today, they actually said uh, the woman in red two different times. When you're watching The Matrix, we've all been exposed to that. That's propaganda mainly directed at the subconscious mind. Because the average person, he's not able to process what's going on there. People will say, well, this has to do with Gnosticism. Well, (laughs) I mean, that's kind of an exoteric type thing. And you don't really know what they're trying to communicate anyway. But sure enough, in the the Matrix, they actually show the Scarlet Woman. She's walking right right down the street, the woman in red. Mm -hmm. And they're glorifying their feminine goddess. You know what I mean? And so I'm saying that, you know, they're taking these different people and they're they're trolling them out there and they actually represent someone else. And what they like to do is imagine putting out this um, figure of the Virgin Mary that all these Roman Catholics would adore, but it actually represents someone else, represents someone else, for instance, you know, ISIS or something like that. And basically that's what I'm saying that they're doing, you know what I mean? And when it gets to Obama, it's it's very, very complex. Uh, the same with the Pope, because I believe that both of them are acting out rituals. They actually repre- represent someone else. And, uh, and people are not mean? getting this. What, what, what do you mean they represent, some, represent somebody else? Well, exactly what I mean. You know what I mean? No, I don't. They simply <laughs> represent someone else. The question is who? That's what we want to know. Who do they represent? You, you're talking about a group, an organization, or, or, or are they pretending to be somebody that they're not? What are you talking about? No, they're just acting out a symbolic ritual okay. uh, in public view. And um, knowing that the, the, the public is not able to process what's going on. Okay. And you'll have all these people heading to YouTube uh, trying to you know break, down, break it down, but they don't, they don't understand. They're not getting it. You have to be initiated. Uh, people don't want to allow someone to have secret knowledge. You see, they think they can figure out all these Illuminati rituals. There are certain things that you can see are, are relatively self-evident once you gain a certain level of knowledge. A lot of that stuff is completely over our heads. It's, for instance, I'm not certain what's going on there. Who represents who? And a lot of times... I would never jump on YouTube and try to tell somebody. Sometimes I think about these things for weeks, and then the truth will gradually rise to the surface, and I'll go, aha, <laughs> that's what I think it means, you know. Uh, it's very esoteric, very deep. People are not uh, making allowance for that. They, they, you know, they do do things uh, in your face, and they also do rituals that they actually want uh, a relatively small segment of society actually understand. And then uh, these public rituals also have to do with, I believe, you know, programming the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind theoretically actually understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. And because the uh, the conscious mind is not able to process it, it, um, it induces fear. You know, because you have like a sense of helplessness, you know, what can I do? For instance, they'll send out a message, you know, we're in control. 
they're just simply reminding you over and over and over, we're in control, we're in control. What are you going to do about it, you see? Well, uh-huh. the first thing you'd have to do is recognize what's going on. The conscious mind can't even do that. You know what I mean? So it, it, it induces, like, hopelessness, fear. Because one of the main ways they control the people down through the ages is, you know, through fear. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> anyway. I'll be talking about those more on, on my own show, too, uh, I was actually uh, looking at a lot of the September stuff today, and uh, right. but not actually went specifically what went on today, 23rd. I just saw a few things, so. <clears throat> right. And in fact, we have, we, it's fact the matter is, you and I didn't, and the rest of us didn't see hardly anything that went on today, uh-huh. except what they wanted us to see. And... Um, that's the way it's always has been. So because we're not insiders, so find fascinating though. You look at uh, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, oil um, uh, painting of a uh, John the Baptist, Saint John, I believe it is the Baptist, and uh, I I put it I posted it on there, folks. If you want to look at it, it's a Wikipedia one. And uh, yeah, there's more than one painting. Uh, well, I just want to focus on this one. I just want to focus on this one real fast. I find it really, uh, it's the most cynical painting I've ever seen in my life. But first, I look at this guy. The guy looks like a woman. Yep. He's got this smirk on his face. He's pointing up there, uh, that finger like, ah, you don't, you don't really believe that, do you? You don't believe there's a God up there, do you? Do you go, folks? If you're not looking at it, if you can't look at it, I don't know. But if you can look at it, look at it because it's uh, flat out interesting, though. Too, it happened right at the same time when Martin Luther King was writing, translating the the, the Bible into uh, the common man's language. And uh, here we got this picture of the most effeminized. A fruity-looking guy. Then, of course, he's got the old hand over. I believe that would be his. If we're looking at that, yeah, he's got the left hand thing there. It's it's ridiculous. It's what it is, and that's what it comes down to. When it comes to all this imagery, I strongly believe at this point. Uh, now, I'm not saying the average man who does a painting or drawing, but I'm saying coming out of Rome, the Vatican, all the the priest craft. Uh, the ruling elite, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call it, these paintings, these imagery are all to corrupt you, to confuse you, and pervert you. That painting is no more John the Baptist than uh, Obama. It is just literally pro-effeminization, sodomy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, pr- promoting that. And you know what? That's the way it's always been. So it's nothing new. I mean, it's just, that's our reality. Been that way forever, folks. The problem is you and I just never were taught those things or shown those things. And a big part of the secret, the mystery schools, is pretty much, it's kind of funny when you think about it with the externalization of the hierarchy and, and gentlemen like uh Crowley, they're telling us what it really is all about. 
<laughs> really was he Crowley was an interesting very uh, original about anything. He was just sharing with people the things that he learned and just acting upon it. He just took it to a, a level that most would not be brave enough to do in his situation. Interesting enough, we'll talk about the occult. Uh, well, first of all, Providence and God, a fascinating, finally find somebody in my life, personally in my life, that kind of thinks the way I do. Pretty much close. I've met uh, uh, an elderly man that lives next door to me who knows these things. He just passed me a book, Occult Theocracy by Lady Quinsborough. And maybe you heard about this one before. Yeah, I've got it. So I'm reading through this, and I'm like, my goodness. Now, I heard a few things that may not get it all right. Who does? But it's fascinating, the list of all the religious orders and their occult nature. And this is an old one. This is one of the older uh, copies. Actually, his father was interested in all this stuff. Neither one of them joined Freemasonry. It turns out that this guy's been studying this stuff for 50-some years. First time in my life I ever met anybody that actually is thinking uh, the way maybe you and I do, Dave, overall. How close does he live to you? Huh? How close does he live to you? He's just uh, about uh, 50 yards away. (laughs) Oh, wow. I I, I would have to say that God put him there. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, so a lot of interesting things are happening. Since I moved to this place, things are opening up. I think God's allowing me to have this faith. Well, he's doing what he's doing. So anyways, we also, uh, uh, Lloyd, he sent me the copy of uh, Euros and the Magic in the Renaissance by Iono, I, I-O-N-P, I think, Colian, Colano. Lanio, whatever. Anyways, after I get done reading the book, uh, Popery, um, as it was and, and is as it is by William Hogan, which was written back in nineteen or eighteen fifty one. We'll be reading this book. This gentleman, uh, the author of uh, Euros and Magic in the Renaissance was taken out in the bathroom of the school that he was teaching. After he wrote this book, this book is fascinating, and I got a feeling, folks, you know, I've been saying that I believe that the Jesuits are are not the top dogs, really. If it's that easier for an imbecile like me to find them out, if it's that easy and if you see that the, the, the cult of the Seventh-day Adventists exposing so freely and easily the Vatican that clearly it doesn't go, it doesn't jive with how uh, the ruling elite or anybody who's in charge would operate. You would do everything in your power to stay in the shadows and now wouldn't it not be known I'm not saying it's not important to know about the Jesuits, and it's not important to know about uh, France, uh, Pope Franny. It is a military order of the papacy, the Vatican, 
and it is responsible for an all heck of a lot of misery and suffering in this world. That is undeniable. And, but uh, I'm getting the strong impression that they themselves are being manipulated by an even different, more darker, dark magic group, dark magicians, if you will, like Dave talks about. And we're going to try to crack that nut if we can. Maybe we can't. Maybe, you know, the truth matters. I'm not the first one to come up with this. But we're going to do best. And uh, whilst always staying focused on what's in front of us, too. So, I mean, this you know, because probably the amazing thing, Dave, is how with their sorcery, how they can literally put things right in front of your face, and you ha- and you can't. It doesn't register in your mind what you're actually looking at. Well, and we look at this the imagery of the. Oh, hold on a second. For the reason you, know, you have this endless imagery of the Pope, and and yet ninety percent of the world thinks that he. Probably more than that. Majority, absolute majority think that he represents Christ, Jesus Christ, Christendom, and maybe he actually does where it represents Christendom. But he certainly doesn't represent a guy like me, and I certainly hope he doesn't represent a guy like you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the reason they can do that, it's not hard, is because uh, a magician can do it with just simple parlor tricks. I used to actually uh, be a parlor magician when I was a kid, and uh, I was ordering magic tricks through the mail in these interesting little catalogs. And... Uh, the uh, the older guys in my family got really frustrated because they didn't like some little kid that could fool them all the time. And I remember one uncle of mine, he's kind of mean, he kind of twisted my arm and says, tell me how you did that. Because it, it's kind of like beating somebody, a little kid beating you in chess. Uh-huh. It implies that, you know, at least today he was smarter than you. And they don't like that. But the other reason they're doing it is because the common man, he never understands the language of symbolism. Um, it's it's a, it's a it's a language. It doesn't have to do with words, and you're never going to be able to figure it out. All of it. You could study your entire life. You have to have a little humility, but you know the common man. He doesn't know anything about it at all. He doesn't understand symbolism. And in fact, um, the ancient mind uh, embraced symbolism a lot more easily. Understood it. Um, we've had like a devolution. And understanding that kind of thing, which is interesting because we are this is this is interesting right here. We are literally surrounded, like I said before, by images all around us, occult yep. images. Yeah. But we don't understand them. Now you and I are, you know, different than the other people. I mean, we're trying to understand them, and um, I'm saying they're a lot more difficult to understand than people think. They're assuming that they can understand them or understand everything about them. And uh, you got to make allowance that they they know secrets that you don't, and that's that's one of the reasons why they troll this stuff out there because they know that you can't comprehend it, and a lot of people assume that they can. You know, we can understand this. You know, how do you know? How do you know that you can understand it? You don't. There's no way to have certainty, because see, you have to um, you have to be certain that you have sufficient knowledge. How can you be certain that you have sufficient knowledge? when you're talking about something that has to do with esoterica. You see, you have to have a little humility. 
And that's the problem with these people on YouTube. They think they can figure everything out, you know. And they will troll stuff out there, kind of like, you know, fishing, uh, to give you some bait, have you snatch snatch on something, just like, um, you know, this vigilant citizen site that I've talked about before. They'll give you the uh, the exoteric outer rind, but they're going to preserve the deep secrets. And that's how you can tell these sites are controlled, because there's a consistent stopping at a certain point over and over and over again. They don't go any further. Once you see that consistent, redundant pattern you know, over the years, they never get to the heart of the matter, and that's going to tell you something about that site, you see. Because you could make um, excuses for the per- person in the short term, and he just doesn't understand it. But uh-huh. see, you can stumble across esoterica. You may not know what you're doing, but he could stumble across it, not realize it, and you could identify it and go, hey, he stumbles across something esoteric, you see. But they never do. The fact that they never do tells you that it's controlled. You see, not everyone can figure that out. you got to have a little bit of knowledge to realize that he's never getting to the heart of the matter. He's consistently stopping just before that uh, to preserve well, well, sacred I think, secrets. I think also what's happening, too, is you look at a lot of these sites, like uh, Visual Christian or whatever. And I, and I think, you know, uh, when you go back to the externalization of the hierarchy, whether they're just uh, ignorant, useful dupes, which many of us are, unfortunately, um, when it comes to their system. That's why we need our Savior so much, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have faith in them. But regardless of that, right now, if you look at a lot of these sites, that really what they're doing, whether knowingly or unknowingly, is um, indoctrinating us at a low level of the occult knowledge of the symbolism. So, you know, when uh, Madonna does some kind of occult ritual and uh, some kind of uh, music award thing, whatever, um, that uh, the average person is going to look at that and go, well, I don't know. They're just just, being creative. They're just using their imagination. And, uh, but... uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is what's happening is just, just it's, it's reinforcing what you're saying. They don't take it any further than a very basic level that it's all Satan worship or it's all, um, which in a basis, in its essence, is true. But, uh, you know, why are they doing the, the satanic rituals in the first place? Uh, why do they feel it necessary, um, especially when you talk about the uh, the big wigs like the entertainment and uh, industry, like uh, Madonna or something like that? Why are they making performing these performances? What's the real motive behind it? And uh, of course, either they do not know why really they're doing it, or they do, and they're not telling us the full story. And they have usually ridiculous arguments like a limitation of time, uh, people's limited ability um, to comprehend, therefore we can't spend, you know, two, three, four hours talking about a subject matter. Um, They just give you a 15-minute video saying, oh, it's Satanism, it's Satanism. Either they really don't know what they're talking about or they actually are um, just indoctrinating as many of the masses, especially the youth, in the 
the what is once again commonly referred to as externalization of the heart. The you know, <clears throat> indoctrinating folks into um, the occult to become part of it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I made the case earlier that they're rolling out these people that represent someone else. So um, let me belabor that point a little bit. Okay. And uh, remove the theoretical to some degree, because that, that sounds highly uh, theoretical, right? Right. Now, the best way you can do that is appeal to numbers, because uh, mathematics is the most provable science. And on my show I talk about they even have propaganda with mathematics. But that has to do with the theoretical mathematics. You can see that with the stuff that Einstein was coming up with. And uh, it may sound profound, but it's actually uh, a form of propaganda. And uh, I've talked about that before. So anyway, you're talking about Madonna. Okay? Now, there is an esoteric significance of a date in August that most people never heard about. And that date is August 16th. Now, when you hear that, you go, I've never heard that before. What's what's the deal with August 16th? Well, they have all this stuff that's linked up to it. Okay? Really? Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is a little disturbing because my son's, that's my son's birthday. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> no, no, it is. I mean, I could go into why that's okay. There's There's no day that's the devil's day. We'll go for it, but for the fact that you even brought up that date is a fascinating to me. So. Uh-huh. There's 365 days on the calendar, and every one of them is God's day. The devil doesn't have a day. It's not Christmas, and it's not Halloween. Every day is God's day. Right. And uh, you can glorify Christ on every one of those days, and if you want to commemorate his birthday or his resurrection, because that's what Easter has to do with, yes, I'm fully aware that Easter is not Passover, but is it permissible to uh, commemorate the resurrection of Christ? Of course. You know what I mean? Of course, now they've got it all set up to do it on their day, Okay. Well, you know, if that bothers you, then choose a different day. But if you want to do it on the on Easter, when other Christians are doing, who are doing it in ignorance, according to this fake Christian calendar, it's not Christian at all. Okay, it's Illuminati calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, according to a doctrine that uh, Paul came up with, which um, Martin Luther wrote a tract upon, has to do with Christian freedom. It's perfectly permissible, especially. Uh, what I call, you know, a deus, having a diaspora mindset where we don't have authority, we've got things all mixed up, and there's mediocrity everywhere. The main thing that God is concerned about is intent. Because most of the stuff that we're doing today is done the wrong way. You know what I mean? So intent becomes very important. So anyway, Madonna, you can make a really big thing out of this, and we could talk about it for a while if you want to. I don't know if it's want to do that kind of thing you know how they're able to do this but she um let me see here she was born on august 16th okay now the thing with her there's actually you know one queen out there There, there's a primary queen now we should be going to elvis first okay and establishing the king and then going to the queen so it's easier to see let's actually go to uh, elvis right now 
And uh, he died on August 16th, according to what they tell us. Now, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Okay, because I don't have any reason to believe it. Why should you believe that, right? But, but it doesn't matter. That's a different issue. That's what they told you. And um, one thing we can be certain: once you start to study August 16th, <laughs> the esoteric significance of it. Um, they told you that for a ritualistic purpose. It doesn't matter whether he died on that day or not. That That's irrelevant, okay? Uh, there's a, a reasonably good chance that Madonna was not born on that day, okay? Now, example of this kind of thing is they t- they told us, okay, that Prince William, who is a lot more important than people think he is, okay, in, in, my, in my opinion, that's just my opinion, okay, that he was actually born on the summer, summer solstice on June 21st, according to what we're told, okay? Now, that is the date when the sun reaches its greatest height. Now, remember what we talked about before? These guys are not sun worshippers. Let's just put that out as a theory. In other words, you know, most of the YouTubers want to believe that they're involved with luciferic solar worship, okay? So let's just make allowance for that. You can go ahead and believe that. But let's let's create an alternative theory so it's not just the same thing over and over again that we have a false cosmology, and you don't have to embrace every one of these points, but um, but they have a, uh, there's a celestial object that's identified with, uh, we'll call him Satan, okay? And, uh, and because it's sacred, they hit it, or they troll it out there in front of us, but always in a profane manner, Okay? I could talk a lot about that. And this gets a bit more complex when you understand that he has a consort, or claims to have a consort, and she has a celestial object too. But um, there's um, there's hierarchies out there that are esoteric. Now, there's always hierarchy because the way that you can establish this hierarchy is nobody is precisely equal. This is a complete absurdity. Everyone is at least a little bit higher or lower than everyone else. And you could take that and just run with it because it applies virtually everywhere, across the board. Okay? Well, if that's true, then you have hierarchy. Now, you notice that Christians don't think about hierarchy. They've been programmed with this, you know, everyone in the church is equal. And, and You know, when we're American citizens, we were all born equal. It's virtually impossible to prove that anything is equal because we don't. you'd have to have absolute knowledge of of any two things, and no one has absolute knowledge of any two things because everything that you're confronted with your entire life has unmeasurable complexity, unmeasurable complexity. Uh, as we say in the show, everything is frequency on one level, but people say, well, that's not significant just because it's a little bit higher, a little bit lower. How do you know it's just a little bit higher or lower? How do you know? Because if you have unmeasurable complexity, that means that you don't know with any certainty. So how how do you know how close these objects are? Maybe they're more um, different hierarchically than you think that they are. Okay. Well, obviously, the reason I say that is just to point out, people are not even thinking about these things. Because they don't do philosophy in a church, just like they don't do basic logic. You see people in local churches... They're largely emotion-based, and they don't even know simple, basic 
uh, you know, reasoning methods. And the reason they don't is because um, even though these things are obviously very important, they were deliberately never taught to them in the, the so-called education uh, system, which is actually just largely indoctrination. Okay, so if you look at um, <clears throat> it, uh, at Elvis, uh, he has an Illuminati background. And that's a different subject. You have to go research it. Um, uh, Oprah, which I'm actually claiming is the greatest female teacher since, uh, I'll go back as far as Semiramis, the uh, ancient uh, Sumerian queen. I challenge anyone to come up with a, uh, a female figure that has greater influence in the history of the world after Semiramis, okay? Uh, good luck, because <laughs> they didn't have this media that she had. They actually put her in the Pet Go To video, and the reason they did is because she there's a there's a woman coming that people don't know about. They know she's coming, okay? And that's the little nod, nod, wink, wink thing. And they're creating these public psyops every day, every day right in front of our face, knowing that we, we're not even close to processing it. It's actually something that never occurred to you throughout the course of your entire life. That's how they get away with it, because you're simply so far off the mark. It's safe for them to do this kind of thing, and they like to do that because um, <clears throat> they have the mind of a magician, an illusionist, and uh, it feeds their ego that they have sit upon all this knowledge and the common man doesn't know anything. And as a general rule, I mean, it's not just the common man. I mean, this is highly esoteric knowledge that they're sitting upon. And when you start seeing these redundant patterns, see, people are not looking for the patterns. But eventually, if you're looking for the patterns, the patterns start to emerge over time. They're talking about a secret king and a secret queen. Okay? And the first impulse for the Christian mind go, that's talking about the Antichrist. Okay? Well, they know someone, I'll present this as a theory, that's coming who's not the Antichrist. Okay? Now, you talked about why do they do these things? Well, it's always the same thing. It's either mockery or glorification. Okay? When they dress a superhero up in tights who actually represents an ancient god, that's mockery. Okay? And I used to believe that these rituals had to do with glorifying an Antichrist figure. I mean, that's just the natural assumption that you would have. I found out, I mean, this is my opinion, that that's not true. Because my um, conclusion is, you know, they have their own Internet, they have their own entertainment, they have their own, quote-unquote, Hollywood. And talking about people who are true elitists, it's difficult to process how elevated they are above us. They have the technology to turn themselves into um, biological supermen, you know, transhumans. But the people that they roll out there, like the Rothschilds and Rockefellers, these are not the people in power. That's the lower managerial class. So there's a simple way to, to know that. Okay, They have the power to extend human life. And now you can do that with nanotechnology. Well, look at these people. They're dying at a reasonably uh, natural rate, 
And that's telling you right there. These are not the people running the show. The people that are running the show are uh, are, are essentially supermen who cannot appear in public uh, with their real names. And uh, these people don't use their real names anyway. I, I've said it before. They, they have satanic names. And the, the names that these people have for the public, that's just for public consumption. That's not their real name. They have a satanic name. You know what I mean? It, it, it could be a Latin name. I'm not trying to say it is a Latin, but Latin is a satanic language. And that's why it's uh, so important in the Roman Catholic Church. So anyway, if you go back and look at uh, Elvis, he's from an Illuminati bloodline. And uh, a lot of these people that are put into the media, they're actually bastard children. Okay? And you could theorize why they do that. Uh, they're they're low-level mixed Illuminati bloodline. But his, his family goes back to the plantations. And Obama, or excuse me, uh, Oprah claimed that she actually is related to uh, <clears throat> to Elvis Presley, and we can safely assume that um, somebody had sex with somebody back on the plantation. You know, you know how that worked. You know, a slave girl. Sure. You can you can figure that out for yourself. And that's but she's actually acknowledging that. See, but. Um, that's the whole backstory for this. These are the type of people, the people that have this diluted uh, bloodline. They may not even know, or they may find out later. They may tap them on the back and be notified. You know, Before that, the person is just thinking, wow, somebody up there really likes me as you're moving up through Hollywood or the pop music industry. And then, uh, But they always, um, <clears throat> just like in Freemasonry on the lower levels, they always promote the bloodline. It, it has to do with one simple word, hiring. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, this is true. There's people out there exposing that highly talented people in the music industry, they don't want anything to do with you. Now, you can actually see, if you know anything about music at all, which I actually, not technically, but I know about uh, uh, you know, the industry itself, you're just seeing massive devolution. For instance, you used to see these um, highly talented uh, supergroups, like Eric Clapton was in uh, probably three of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't even see supergroups anymore, or if they are, they're not a true supergroup. You know what I mean? Because there's no talent anymore. I mean, the best people out there are still the old, <laughs> old grandpas that, are, you know, that were around before. Um, because music... Um, is something that can actually inspire a person. I could, I could point to specific songs. In fact, I just thought about a song yesterday uh, by the Beach Boys, and it's a relatively new song, and I actually want to put it in bumper music. And um, it's called—I think it's called "Summer's Gone." You know what I mean? It's a sad song. And if if you're playing that song in September and you're listening to it, it's very difficult unless you you know despise the Beach Boys, okay? Then you're not going to emotionally identify with it. To not get involved with that on an emotional level, and I actually kind of like, you know, sad songs. But anyway, this is a huge subject. And so what I'm trying to say is that Elvis actually represents someone, a king, that we don't know is coming, and it's not the Antichrist. Now, I can prove with one single verse that there is a king coming and nobody knows about him and God has concealed it from his own people. Now, 
people say, there's no way you're going to be able to pull that one out of the hat, Dave. Watch me try, okay? So if you go to Ezekiel 45.22, I mentioned this verse to you before. Yep. Uh, you'll see a prince there that nobody wants to talk about, okay? You you can't reconcile him with the Christian concept of a heavenly Christ because if you take the passage literally, he's making sacrifices for his own sins. Then if you go to... Um, some people will try to rationalize that away. If you go to uh, Ezekiel 46, it goes into uh, elaborate uh, detail about how he leaves an inheritance for his sons. Apparently he has quite a few of them. And uh, you can prove very quickly, like I have before, that there's a person coming that the church doesn't know anything about. It's ob- If the person exists, then God has concealed it from his own people. Now, he does this kind of thing. And so the passage I talk about a lot of times, because you can see right away there's a problem, is Hosea 1.11, <clears throat> where it says Israel and Judah will be reunited. If you take that literally, it has to do with the restoration of Israel. Um, the Roman Catholic replacement th- theology doesn't make allowance for this, so they, they effectively covered it up, because they're going to spiritualize all the texts and apply them when somewhat, somewhat curiously to the church. All of the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled. This is amazing, actually, through the Roman Catholic Church. That's what—that's the original teaching. The Protestants um, embraced that belief system and, and applied it to themselves. But they, they borrowed it from the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Okay, so let's uh, let's ignore that uh, false belief system and, and actually acknowledge what Scripture says about a literal restoration of Israel a literal restoration of 12 tribes, which it mentions. They have you know, uh, land allotments in, uh, like, Ezekiel 47. We're not going to spiritualize all that, okay? Even if you did, you wouldn't know what the heck is the deep spiritual meaning anyway. All you have is just a bunch of confusion, and that tells you the Holy Spirit is not, that's not the true view, because otherwise we have clarity from the Holy Spirit historically about the deep significance of these uh, 12 uh, allotments of land, geographically. Do we have that? No. All the commentaries disagree with each other. So that will tell you right there that interpretation is false. Okay. So it says, Israel and Judah will be reunited. This is in Hosea 1.11. And it says, and they will appoint, this is very important, they will appoint one leader. Now, who will appoint? They will appoint. We could assume that um, they used to have chieftains over the 12 tribes. But see, there's going to be hierarchy that's going to be restored. It says, I believe in uh, <clears throat> Isaiah 1, that your judges will be restored as in the days of old. And uh, in the previous uh, podcast, I talked about that passage in Jeremiah, that he's going to give us teachers, you know, with learning and understanding. Because we, we don't have them right now. These would be authoritative teachers, because we're going to have a significant amount of truth restored. It's not going to always be like this. We've got massive confusion everywhere in Christianity. That's why one of the reasons why people are not attracted to it. You know, who has the truth? Well, there's a way to simplify that all, uh, and, and just, you know, if you're delusional enough, which the great majority of Christians are, is just choose a group and choose a belief system and then believe that's true and just focus on all the error or confusion everybody else has. Well, the problem is that's what everybody does. What if you eliminate that one group that you identify with? Well, now, now, now you just have a corrupt, monolithic religion. That, that's a lot closer to the truth. 
And this is what Jesus is prophesying there in Matthew 17, 11, where he says, Elijah will come and restore everything. And I'm just making a simple correlation. Remember that John the Baptist is dead, so it can't be fulfilled uh, to John the Baptist. See, Christians are wrong about this passage in Ezekiel 45:22. It's not referring to their heavenly Jesus. And they're wrong about Matthew 17:11, uh, saying that has to do with John the Baptist, because John the Baptist is dead. Well, this is going to change everything, okay? So it's pretty obvious that this figure in Matthew 17:11 is this leader in Hosea 1:11 that they will appoint. And the reason we can tell it's not Jesus coming down from the clouds, I actually believe in a literal second coming, by the way, um, is because when he comes down from the clouds, nobody's going to appoint him for anything. He's going to do the appointing. So that's what is that? The exact opposite? You can't reconcile that with Jesus coming down from the clouds. Because obviously he would be on earth, and so they would be appointing him. That's not going to work. Now, here's what gets important. Is there anybody talking about this? You see that? See, that's even more important. Who's talking about this? Because what this illustrates, this is simple and self-evident, we've got blinders on, and God is not helping us. Just like he's allowing all these people to die from chemotherapy uh, in Christian churches, even though people are praying, and he's got all these pastors in America who don't have a clue what a chemtrail is. Is God trying to help them, illuminate them? No, he's not. They don't want to believe this, but see, we have objective evidence that God is withholding grace from his own people. Now, if God is doing that on an ongoing basis, it follows by logical deduction that we live in a period of probation. It doesn't matter whether we know about it. In fact, if you live in a period of probation, that has to do with you know spiritual ignorance, intellectual ignorance. You wouldn't necessarily know because God is withholding knowledge. There's all kinds of things that are basically self-evident. You just point a finger here, point a finger there. It's not hard to figure out, like the artificial night sky. Where are these Christian authorities that know about that? There's, there's nobody. Not yet. So that means that God is withholding truth from his own people. Now, what this actually is, guess what? It's a punishment. That's, that's, now, people don't like to hear that. Well, you know, well, God was punishing the Israelites over and over and over again. And now we want to think that we don't get punished anymore because this is uh, an era of grace. We'll save that for another time. So anyway, <clears throat> we can see by the uh, the use of the uh, August 16th dates that there's something going on with Madonna, and who is the queen. She's the supreme reigning queen. Um, and the king. Okay, of rock music. Uh -huh. Is it a coincidence that they both have to do with August 16th? Well, the coincidence theory is going to collapse once you start to see all the August 16th linkage. Now, if a person wants to see that, they can go to a podcast called Spirit Cleaner Chronicles. I've done, uh, I've been on there myself talking with him. He, I basically just did a kind of a private Skype call and he, uh, put music to it and made a bunch of podcasts out of it. <laughs> and uh, now he's actually talking about this Davidic king. And uh, he's talking about how they're putting him out there right in front of us over and over again. Okay? And he has a consort, and you'll find her in Psalm 45. Now what the church has done, this 
this hermeneutic, you know, hermeneutics is, is, is the science of uh, biblical interpretation. It gives us the false exegesis, and it, it, it disables us from properly interpreting Psalm 45, okay? Because there's a queen there, okay? So the back, background for all this, you can go back to origin, or you can go, if you follow their chronology, which is foisted upon us, about a thousand years later, a little bit less than that, you have Bernard of Clairvaux, who is an extremely influential historical figure in the late medieval era. Um, they were interpreting the Song of Songs, and people are familiar with this, that it has to do with the church. Okay, Now, I'm not saying it doesn't, because you can have what's called double metaphors, but what I am saying is that there's actually historical people in there. And if you're going to follow that interpretation, you are not going to get that. So they took that um, interpretation of Scripture and they applied it to Psalm 45, and they made the queen uh, there. And she's called, she can be a princess or a queen, depending on what kind of translation you have. It's split fairly well, so it can be either one. You know, the queen that's clothed in the gold of Ophir. That is supposed to be the church, okay? But the problem is is that you've got two different groups of women uh, besides her. And that's where everything is going to break down because, see, again, who is the authority that can tell us the deep spiritual meaning of these two groups of women? Because you're trying to say that the, the, the woman is a personification of the church. Well, that's a group of people. So who are these other two groups of people? They don't have an answer. I'll just tell you, it's false exegesis. But um, there's a queen coming, and there's a, this, is, this is real simple. You have to establish that there's a king coming. Okay? Once you do that, this is easy. Ask yourself this question. Is he going to have a wife? Stop and think about that for a while. Now ask yourself this question. Do you think she would be important? Absolutely. Because if you look at the last eight chapters of uh, Ezekiel, which the premillennial belief is based on, you will not see a heavenly Christ. There is no heavenly Christ. You have an earthly prince that's ruling, and the church is ignoring him. And he has a wife. Now, there's two people coming, and this is a huge story. The church doesn't know anything about it because God has blinded them. He actually doesn't want them to know. But the Illuminati, they know all about it. And they're trolling these people out there in mockery rituals. And I'm telling you flat right now, the evidence is so overwhelming that Madonna's whole career is to mock this woman, as well as, you know, like Beyonce, Lady Gaga. It goes on and on. These public rituals are being carried out right in front of our face day after day in Hollywood. And the same thing to do with the king. I mean, I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that David Bowie's entire career is to, is to mock this king. And, of course, now he's called David in Scripture. You see, he's introduced um, in Ezekiel 34 as a prince, and then he's referred to as a king in uh, Ezekiel 37. And he's always already been introduced, so when he uh, starts to address him again around uh, Ezekiel 43, 44, it just calls him the prince. But his name is David in Scripture. 
And uh, Christians just have assumed that this has to do with their heavenly Christ. Okay? But do they try to solve this problem of how he makes sacrifices for his own sins? Well, we know we don't hear a discussion about that. Now, I've gone to great lengths to show that Christianity is a cultic system that emerged out of a larger, larger cult called the cult of society. And the, and the basic fundamental um, evidence for this is the mind of the common Christian is not significantly different than anybody else. I mean, he has a, a faith belief in Jesus and God and the Bible and those kind of things, okay? But his mind has never been restructured so that he can think uh I'm talking about his mind is enslaved. Is it true or is it not true that Christians have absorbed massive amounts of propaganda and are completely clueless? They don't have a clue that this has happened. Is this true or is it not true? You see that? Even even worse today. It's never been any worse than today. So you have two different types of slavery. You have spiritual slavery. Now, if these people are are doing what they're supposed to do, uh, praying to God, and leaving, uh, leading, leading a, a proper moral life, they have spiritual freedom in Christ. This is true. But that doesn't mean that their minds are not enslaved by propaganda. You see that? This shows you the importance of information, which is reducible to one thing, truth. They don't have a clue what's going on in the big picture. They're really just stumbling through life because their leaders don't have a clue. They're shepherds. They don't know what's going on either. They don't even know what a chemtrail is. You know what I mean? They think that um, pharmaceutical drugs are good, that heal you. No, that's a chemical, and all chemicals are poisons. And if you go to a doctor, he's going to turn you into a drug addict. Every single one of those drugs will turn you into a drug addict if you keep using them. This is true. The Christians don't even know that. So you've got all these Christians out there that are drug addicts because they think the doctor is an expert and they think a doctor can heal them, the doctors don't believe that. But this is what Christians believe. Now, do pastors try to help anyone? No, they don't have any knowledge. They're on pharmaceutical drugs, too. If they're over 50 years old, uh, they're probably all uh, medicated out. And so that's just normal in America to have... It's unbelievable how many people in this country are on pharmaceutical drugs. These, These drugs are created by black magicians, satanic chemists, for a diabolical purpose, and the primary um, target is guess who? Who do you think is the primary target, Michael? Uh, well, you so you always say it's Christians, but uh, We're about weaponized pharmacy, weaponized pharmacy. It, it's Christians. Why wouldn't it be? See, if you're thinking logically, who the heck is going to be the target other than a Christian? Because who's running the show? Satanists. That's yeah. see. Sometimes when we talk about you know. Um, you know, the Vatican this, and the Pope this, and all this stuff. Sometimes you need to come out and say, Satanism. Because it, you can sit in the local church for 50 years, and you will never hear the word Satanism or Satanist. You'll hear a lot about Satan in the conservative church. Why can't they talk about Satanists? Satanists. Can you say that? S- try it. Satanists. Satanists. <laughs> they can't say it. They don't talk about it. You know how conservative housewives... You know, they don't. The, the word Satanist, plural, never comes off their lips. 
four decades well, can fly by. I, I think it's even, yeah, well, of course, you need to talk about before you go to the next level, which is even more important, which is researching it. Because it's going to lead you somewhere you don't want to, you, you don't want to go, mm-hmm. which goes back to the Christian church. And hierarchy, yeah. we're talking about uh, Catholicism, and many of the branches of, or the daughter churches of Roman Catholicism, which are, unfortunately, folks, variances of the same satanic system. It is Satanism. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. now, you know, White Raven is in the in the in the chat room, and uh-huh. he uh, he's really into numbers, and he concluded that this psalm, this king, was actually born in 1956. Now, I've never talked to him about this yet, but I was doing some research, and sure enough, it was in 1956 that Elvis Presley made his first recordings for RCA. These are the ones where he became popular. He didn't become popular until 1956. And this is supposed to be all big coincidence? Because I'm... Here's the thing. I already concluded independently that 1956 was important. This was played out live (laughs) on, on on a talk show call. He came up with the same numbers that I came up with, 1956, and then that coincides with Elvis Presley. How is this possible? You know what I mean? It's absolutely off the charts. <laughs> and we were both amazed. You know what I mean? Now he also came up with a number, another number, 1957, and I did, and I did too. And this had to do with the women, but I think there's two women coming. He thinks it's one woman. I think it's the other woman. But the fact that we would have 1957 as well—that's that, unbelievable. You know. And we, that's why we actually make jokes that we're both agents, because how could you have that kind of uh, redundancy? You know what I mean? It, it's going to hold it here. Something's going on, you know what I mean? <laughs> Interesting. Either God is showing us something, or we're on it, too, and we're trying to deceive everybody else. But, well, if you, if you look at uh, television, you look at the radio, you look at the television, really is Satan's altar. The radio is not much different, really. It's just uh, the use of audio. You see music. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at my own life, and although I was, I went, to, you know, I was a member, grew up, uh, or a convert from eight on, being a Mormon. Um, really, the real true influence in my life was not uh, Mormonism. It was the television, and it was musicians. And I don't think I was unique. Because they look at the 1980s, and I think we're both the same age, what was going on, MTV, and total indoctrination, and everybody was watching MTV and these music channels, or the music videos, and how many of them, I mean, you've got to remember MTV, of course it was controlled by uh, Freemasonry, but... (laughs) It gets beyond that. I mean, they were indoctrinating people into uh, this new religion, a new religion that um, is a little bit different than what other people maybe have imagined because we're conditioned that religion has something to do with going to somewhere on a Sunday, sitting down in a pew and listening to a guy preach to you. Well, you know what? The pew today is your couch and your living room, and the guy preaching to you is on the is on the television, or is in your um, MP3 player now. Does that make sense? Yeah, in other words, it, 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 into low-level esoterica. 
and it gets back down to this humanism, this whole kind of thing of uh, uh, you know the the number uh, or the market beast, you know this the number of man six 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 number of man. It's man worship. It's worshiping. It's not belief destroying any kind of concept belief of God, and you will be the God. You're the God. You're your own God. Sounds really good, especially when you're young. Sounds freeing. Until you get to my age, you're someone like myself who lived that life, and you're riddled with disease and debt and misery and loneliness. Great. Great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great way to destroy a person. That's what it's all about. Well, you're in the debt system. You're supposed to be in debt. Right. And to make yourself feel but, any better, but that, but nobody has any money that. and everybody's in debt. And the, the only people that really isn't in debt is someone who doesn't really have anything of any worth, a homeless person. There's not too many people who doesn't have anything of worth because whatever you have of worth, you actually don't own it. Ultimately, it belongs to somebody else. I know people don't want to believe that, but that's that's what I believe, and I believe you can prove that in a court of law. And I've actually heard a Christian lawyer tell you exactly where to go in a large library, the legal documents, you know, to prove that we're basically all employees and um, everything we have belongs to somebody else. So technically you're in debt. You know, if you want to do things from the perspective that it's yours, you know, it's kind of on the loan. You know what I mean? But we are in debt to somebody. What we don't I have see, anything. I'm not, I'm not feeling sorry for myself, not saying, well, it's Mike, and then saying the unique problem. You know, and even debt is just in one aspect of the total goal, the goal of the satanic system to have you enslaved physically, mentally, and spiritually mm-hmm. in all aspects, so that you have no hope of ever coming to the Lord, coming to the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, and Yeshua the Messiah, ever having any kind of faith. I mean, I hear, you I mean, you, you and I have been around the block enough to know, we probably know hundreds of people at this point, at least I do, who have died from drugs or just committed suicide. And I could be easily be one of those statistics if I didn't have God present in my life. Because, you know what, I didn't, before coming to the Lord, I but judged my life according to the world standards. And according to the world standards, I'm a total failure. But now that I have the Lord, it doesn't matter that I'm a total failure in the world standards because I don't love the world anymore. <laughs> I don't care. I could care less, you know what I mean? So, um, and so I see this, my circumstances, you could think about your circumstances and then they think about how how few would be able to tolerate our standards without having some a walk with the Lord. You know what I think, of, Michael? I th- but, see, you got to go up to the highest sometimes, and that's God. And uh, I don't think that um, in this particular period, I think things will change in the future, and things were definitely not this way in the distant past, like in Job's day and Abraham's day. But if God gives you a significant amount of truth, he doesn't give you a, a significant amount of physical blessing. That's the counterbalance to keep you humble. You see that principle there in Second Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says, because of the surpassing revelation. Because of the surpassing revelation, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me. Uh, And I pleaded three times 
be, be ta- have it taken away, and he said, my grace is sufficient. Now, why was that given to Paul? It was some kind of probably a physical ailment as a counterbalance for all this truth that he had. Now, we're talking about devolution. Man's getting more and more wicked. And if that's true, we need to be humble if we have a lot of truth to keep us balanced. We don't, now, we don't think we need to have this. Well, you know, why can't God just give us sufficient grace? But, you know, God works through secondary causes, and that's his common means, especially since the first century, to to keep people balanced, is to introduce uh, something, some kind of external cause. It could be this ailment that you have. You see that? Have you ever thought about this before? Or it could be financial, or you could be in a situation where people don't respect you. Go ahead. The ailments is I th- I see all my circumstances strangely as a great blessing because if it wasn't for the ailment if it wasn't for the loss of the woman I love if it wasn't for all the material things I to be honest with me because I was so enslaved into the system I I uh, never returned to the Lord yeah but see, that is only because God has given you sufficient grace if He doesn't give you sufficient grace. Uh, that can turn to bitterness. A good example of that is poverty. Poverty can be a gift from God if it's accompanied with sufficient grace. If it's not, it can make you bitter against God, and it can send you to hell. It can go either way. You see that? Oh, absolutely. Now, how many people in this materialistic culture would look at poverty as a gift? No, no, most won't. Would not. Even most, quote-unquote, calls themselves Christians would not. They would feel that they're being punished. (laughs) But, you know, when I look at my own circumstances, I I see the absolute necessity to be in the situation I am for him to teach me. You know what I mean? If I was living in a world preoccupied with the things of this world, the lusts and desires of this world, the materialism of this world, you and I never will be talking. That's for one thing. And then there's just, you know, just endless examples. And so I think it's an absolute necessity for a man to to break him down, to break him to a point where he is willing to listen to God in this world that's so fallen and most of us are trapped in it. We're in Babylon, so then yeah. I, he has to get he has to take us out of here. And uh, and really you know, we're in a situation we're so disconnected from it, the world that he created for us. We're enslaved in this, you know, you look at all these Jesuit reduction camps that we all live in, whether you live in your neck of the woods in Seattle or, the, or, or where's it, what's, what's the town you live in again? Uh, uh, Seattle area. I, I live about 50 minutes south of uh, uh, Seattle, oh, another, another big city. Kind of a sister city. Yeah, a giant big metropolis. And what is this whole metropolis about? It's a giant, uh, it really is uh, a, a giant slave uh, plantation. And what's the whole goal? The goal is enslaving you, not only physically, but also spiritually, and to disconnect you from God, reality, uh, his reality, his truths, and to offend and fight over. Uh, this talisman we call the dollar, you know, the dollar bill. But uh, uh-huh. regardless, it can be called anything. It doesn't really matter. Or if, uh, you know, it's a piece of paper with a, a, a cultic 
symbolism ripple all over it. <laughs> but it's uh, it just goes on and on. I mean, the truth of the matter is we are enslaved in this Babylonian system, just like Daniel, and there is no other way to live in this system but by the grace of God and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That is it. I mean, it sounds too simplistic for the average man to accept because it is so simplistic. And we live in a world full of complication and diversion, and that's all been designed by these these illuminaries, these illusionists, to keep us from having any kind of contact relationship with our God, including religion. Now, religion is a very fundamental part in all this. Organized religion is a very fundamental part. I'm, more and more I research and think about it, when I think about it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter which religion it is, organized body, it could even be a very small church of a few dozen or hundred people following a man or a woman and their dictates, their understandings, uh, their preachings, their teachings, instead of uh, following God. Now, following God dismantles all this. It really does. At least it has for me. There's no one to follow but God. I don't follow Dave. Dave doesn't follow me. Uh, anybody who's walking this path that we're walking, we're not following a group. We're following where God leads us. So it's a very fascinating journey since coming to the Lord because never would have thought it in a minute that I would be doing what I'm doing. Uh, my dreams and passions were that of dictated by the world. We look at it once again, we talk about being raised by musicians. Uh-oh, I got it. Somebody's coming upstairs. Go ahead. Okay. You want, me, you, you want me to keep going, or what do you... You all right? Guy's a loud mouth, so just... Oh, okay. Go ahead. I just, uh, so anyway, so we looked it down. We got Elvis. Elvis is the Pied Piper, the musician that would bring in this new type of uh, worship, if you will, man worship, uh, music. Music, you look at... Uh, 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 pop music that he represented in this uh, four-chord progression music, and the way it's all laid out, it's clear that there's one uh, casting of spell after another. I'm a person that wrote hundreds of songs in my lifetime, literally hundreds. In my 30s, as well, in my 20s in particular, I wrote many, many a song. Uh, none of them which you folks know. Maybe someday I'll, I'll do a show and play some of my music. <laughs> Actually, you guys would probably be quite... <laughs> I would imagine you would enjoy it. Um, there's a lot of great musicians out there that never get heard. Um, but, but what's the point, of, like a guy like Elvis was, clearly was to... The new kind of uh, priest class, if you will, uh, with you would be casting your spells, your magic, via music. Interesting, because of the... Uh, Coming at the same time is the electric guitar. Um, I don't know what's your take on that, Dave. Did you hear that? Because I had to cover the phone. <laughs> Could you okay, hear so the guy in the background? Yeah, I did. So what I was He's trying extremely to... loud and profane. And uh, I tell you what, um, when I talk, uh, 
there's no question whatsoever that at least certain times it stirs up demons in the background. Oh, absolutely. And um, <laughs> I live in kind of a community here, uh, which I believe that God has put me here so I wouldn't be alone. That's one of the reasons I'm here. I haven't actually said that yet. But um, <clears throat> there are some dysfunctional people around here, to say the least. And, all uh, everywhere. It doesn't matter. Well, I, okay. I'd say that all the families are dysfunctional. All human beings are dysfunctional. So, yeah, I understand all that. But uh, Well, let's go to the back. So Elvis Presley, he was part uh he studied, the, uh, and he was an active member of the Theosophical Society, okay? There we go. He, um, he was a guy that was practicing um, this New Age stuff. He was a practicing uh, a bisexual and encouraged him strongly to... Have sex with men, they were worried about him impregnating women and want to deal with that. So they conditioned them, convinced them to start being a bisexual. It's interesting that uh, he ended up sharing the same lover as James Dean. Um, regardless James of that, Dean was a Satanist, by the way. There's no question about that. Yeah. So you look at these guys, what were the real roles? Why was he the one chosen, you know, supposedly coming out of Memphis? There you go. Again, now Memphis has to do with Egypt. And just pause right there, because but it's you've also got a geographical linkage. Supposedly, unless they're unless they're lying to us, because this may only be based on a spherical Earth, because scientists don't believe in a spherical Earth. They believe the Earth is an oblate spheroid. Okay, but supposedly there's geographical linkage between Phoenix, Memphis, and um, going over to Egypt. In fact, all this stuff is linked up. And uh, I would have to question that, but I mean that's that's what you're supposed to have there. So, <clears throat> all right. So I guess the question I'm raising to you and others who are listening is why? What was the motive? Why did they end up using that? Now a lot of people say it's cultural Marxism, and I know it's got to be an element of it. But really, why was music for some musicians in the '50s? And in the 60s, it was just simply about technology, probably, a big element of it. But why were music such an important thing to indoctrinate youth? And let's face it, we love music. Everybody likes music. We enjoy music. Why? Why did they tap into that particular form of uh, entertainment, that form of social activity to start to corrupt the masses globally? Now, music has always been around, but usually we can look at historically, music is, is like art has always been associated with religion. Obviously, they were very much more types in their control as far as the type of music or art that could be uh, shared to the public. It always had to be around. If you're Western Europe, it was, uh, you know, obviously Roman Catholicism. But if you look today with music, there's a new version of the high priest, if you will. As we d- uh, abandon uh, and the role of, uh, you know, our concept of organized religious corporate religion, there's a new religion that came about. And you got to think about this. It's about what occupies your mind, what distracts you in your attention. It's a, it just, let's think about it this way. You have a conversation with somebody else. It's almost impossible to stay focused on anything else but that conversation. Now, take that the next step. You're going to the car, you turn on the radio, you're going down the road. What are you thinking about? You're not thinking about 
your immediate reality. You think about the music. Now, take television. What was television all about? Clearly, you know, for the, well, I don't know. Uh, supposedly, in the beginning, they uh, were doing all sorts of esoteric things with television. It not only was a military weapon, but they were trying to see if there's any way they could channel. When they talk about channel, we're talking about other spirits, demons, etc. And now look at music. What is uh, 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 television? It's all about not only brainwashing, literally that's what it's about, but it's about uh, occupying all that is you, your body, your mind, your soul, controlling it, dictating it. Um, I'm just thinking about a time, you know, you know, must have been like for a guy, say, growing up in Washington, the state of Washington, prior to all this massive development. And although there wasn't that many distractions or ways to be entertained, a cultural event, as like to call it, culture, cult, cultural, that uh, a man had more time to be, actually, he had no other time, he had time to think about God, he had time to be more connected to his reality, you know, the uh, what God created, the world that we live in now. Most people go through their day and never even contemplate God. They beg for God like a genie in a bottle, but they don't beg for his like trinkets, things of this world, as if that's really what God is interested in giving you. But somebody else is interested in giving you that, and it's not God, <laughs> our God, but the prince of this world. He'll give you all the things you ever wanted, all the material things you ever want to keep you occupied and keep you from being connected to so. I don't know. I, I just want to go more in this detail about this thing because um, it's true that, uh, and it's very strange how, first of all, you first you have, and I haven't really thought about it until we had this conversation, but you've got, you got uh, Elvis, the king, and then you got the, the, the new version, these queens. It's, it's now, yeah, there is no king now, there's queens. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And so that's kind of reverting us back to maybe a more ancient pagan time, a more uh, matriarchal kind of system, conditioning. Let me about that real quick. Sure. Uh, I should have said that earlier, but you have to go back to uh, what Madonna means. Now, I'm saying that there's a, a coming queen of Israel, that God's people don't, they don't know anything about her. And uh, that's because God has not enlightened them yet. Uh, but the Illuminati know. They possess secret knowledge. If you look at the... Uh, but what Madonna means, it's actually Latin for my lady. Okay? Now, for the average person, that's not significant. But the, uh, in, 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 the consort of a king in Israelite culture, she's, she wasn't called a queen. Now, you have the term queen mother in Scripture... Uh-huh. Not, not queen. The term that they used, somewhat curiously, was the lady. Okay. Now I made the case that Madonna is a mockery of this woman. It fits perfectly with what Madonna means, my lady. When we think of Madonna, we typically think of the Virgin Mary. Okay. I'm saying that she represents this coming queen, and that's precisely what her name means. Is that a coincidence? I think not. See that. Right. Well, so you got this Madonna who 
if people remember her and her antics throughout her career, I mean, one of the things is we we'll think about her book that she did with all the many graphic imagery of her having sex with all these different Dutch men, different positions, and all that. Remember that? Remember hearing about her, seeing it? Uh, I was just looking at what White Raven said in the chat there. Can you repeat that? So, Madonna, she wrote a book a while back, or supposedly wrote a book. Yeah. And it was full of imagery of her in different sexual positions, her liberating herself sexually, her having a sexual expression of her sexual liberation. Yeah. Different men and all that kind of things. And it was very popular, especially with the gay movement. A lot of gay guys really love Madonna. I think you're talking about uh, BDSM culture. Huh? I think it's you're talking about BDSM culture. Is that the name of the book? Sadomasochism is what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, what? Yeah, that's all part of that. So, here's this. I mean, come on. Let's let's be honest about this. The Madonna, their version of this Madonna is anything but pure. <laughs> God-like, godly, you know, uh, righteous, etc. It's like everything. It's like Madonna is the a great whore. Well, there you go. You know, the, the Simaramas. That's this, exactly that's, what they're doing now. That's very important you pointed that out because they are doing two things at once. I've already said this over and over on my own show. For some reason, they are typifying and representing this coming queen is is Semiramis. Now, the reason they're doing it is because they already have a great queen, and they're subtly glorifying her and mocking the coming queen and basically corrupting her image by repeatedly comparing her with their queen, their dark queen. And you'll see see both of them on the the chessboard, by the way. So what, what do you think is going on with Madonna there and with uh, this whole idea to keep trying to present like the, the kind of her replacement? Whether it's uh, Courtney Spears or now it's uh, What's-Her-Face. Uh, 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 Britney Spears won't replace her. No, she wasn't. She didn't, she didn't fit the bill. And then it was uh, Christine What's-Her-Face. And then she didn't fit the bill. Now, now we got this new one, Katy Perry, who is like flat out. Well, actually, she's the one. She's the one to replace. Yeah, she's you think? the one that's supposed to replace her. Yeah. So, okay, so so this one is saying that she flat out sold her soul to the devil and is Satan's. Okay, Katy Perry has followed the same pattern uh, with Christina and Brittany. Um, and Madonna, somewhat curiously, because she started off with this, you know, like a virgin type stuff, and they 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 they, they do that to. It's real obvious what's going on. They hook you just like television. Look at how innocent television was in the early 1950s. And once they once they pull you in, they know most people are not disciplined enough to say, well, this is this is you know, this is becoming corrupt. They do the same thing with these TV shows, by the way. You know. Um, Along the way, as you watch these uh, TV series, they become increasingly corrupt and dark and sexual. 
knowing that most people are not going to put their foot down and go, I've had it with this stuff. Let's take an example. Games, Game of Thrones. How many Christians out there are watching this stuff and going, you know, this is a really great show. But look at the sex. I mean, it's unbelievable the kind of sex that they're having in there. I mean, it's what's, the, what's the name of this show? Game of Thrones. It's highly popular. There's Christians all across America that are watching this stuff. Oh, okay. I, I haven't you know heard of something? that I, uh, I say that I sit around and think all day long. And what I was thinking about today is how many pastors are are warning, <laughs> this is almost laughable, are warning and cautioning their parishioners about going to R-rated movies. They don't even do it anymore. Because um, it's like, you know, there's so many obese people in the congregation that we can't speak about gluttony, which was preached all through the history of the church until, somewhat curiously, the mid, well, actually post-World War, and that's just when people started piling on the weight because of this artificial food that was foisted upon us. Okay? That's kind of an interesting pattern. You think it might be correlated? But they also, they they can't, they can't, preach against uh, R-rated movies because there's too many people watching them. Like, intuitively, they know that, and I think uh, some of the pastors are watching that stuff, too. I mean, it's just like, it's just accepted now. Everybody's been sexualized. We've been pornified. The whole culture is just going right down into the sewer. And, you know, when I just said what I just said, there's there's curses out there that are so programmed, they just roll their eyes off. Come on, Dave. You know what I mean? Well, where are we headed with all this? Because let's say that Jesus didn't come back and none of this stuff happens. We, what would this culture be like? In imagine even ten years. Look what's happened in the last ten years. But how about you know twenty, thirty, fifty years? My God, where where the heck are we headed with all this? Hell manifesting <laughs> manifesting on Earth. That's where we're headed. Well, yeah. Dante's Inferno. He had Semiramis down there, by the way. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> What's that? He had Semiramis. Dante had her down there. Oh, yeah? In the Inferno. Yeah, he had, you know, uh, the Divine Comedy. There's three different uh, books, basically. Or acts, whatever the heck, you know. Yeah, he had Semiramis down there. But, yeah, see, there's one single woman in the history of the world that fits the parameters of the great whore. And people used to know who she was. It's Semiramis, whatever you want to call her. If you want to call her Inanna or Isis or Ishtar. Now, we went through that before, okay? And you, you know. But um, <clears throat> whoever, whatever her name is, that's their great mother. And we're not talking about a celestial being. We're talking about an earthly woman. See, here's a way for people to grasp it. Okay, there was a flood. And you can look at Noah as a new Adam because there was a new world, and he was first man. You see, because you have these patterns in you know, typology. Well, see, you got to look at their hierarchy. Look at the word history. Break it down. His story. Do you think that they created that term to glorify Christ? Of course not. They have a Christ. And in the Illuminati, they actually call him Christ. They actually call him Christ. And um, he 
moves through history, and there's there's esoteric information about him. But what I want to point out is that they have a new Eve, or just simply an Eve period, you know, after the flood. Okay, once you understand that Noah was a typological Adam. And who is that Eve? It's Semiramis. If you understand that, then you're going, aha, she's their great mother. And that's why there's so much confusion about her, because she's sacred. They don't want to give clarity about her. The reason we used to have clarity is because she was such a powerful historical influence. It was just common folk knowledge. Everybody knew about her. I've said on my own show that you know mothers used to warn their children, now, don't you grow up to be like Semiramis. You know what I mean? Right. Don't keep your skirts on. Or you'll end up you know, being a whore, you know. And I'm talking about, you know, Jewish mothers, you know. So we lost that because there was a discontinuity after the first century. And I can explain that, but I won't do it right now. I mean, a massive worldwide cataclysm would help. <laughs> but um, we don't pay any attention to Jewish traditions. Everything is truncated in the first century. We have our own Christian traditions, and, and they're from the apostles forward. We don't respect Jewish tradition. You know why? Because Protestants have been psyoped, in my opinion, by the word tradition. We, where's our traditions? They stole them. You see, and they're continuing to steal them. I'm talking about tradition across the board. Even like well, you're, you're talking about the cataclysm. We, what, what time period are you talking about this giant worldwide cataclysm? What's that? You said it's cataclysm. You said you don't want uh-huh. to go there. What time period are you talking about? The first century, the latter part of the uh, first century. Well, why, why don't you want to go? go let's go down that road. I know we tried a little um, bit last time. I think we should do it later because okay. I still got I got some crib notes here. I got a room. I got a roommate that's uh, sleeping in the room, and he claims that um, he sleeps so deeply that uh, he doesn't care if I uh, talk in front of him. Well, he, uh, he's he, he works himself. graveyard, but um, I try to be discreet. I'm actually standing in the bathroom here. So let me go over some more talking points about that. Uh, talk a little okay. bit about uh, just really quickly about music, and then I can walk away from my computer. Yeah. But um, you. Um, you raised the question, why did they create the music industry? Okay. They always do everything for the same reason. They're trying to accomplish as many things as possible with one swift blow because it's all about efficiency. Okay. There's a lot of pressure to perform and accomplish as much as possible. And they have the motivation, they have the tools to do it. So that's what they were doing with 9-11. That's why there was profound ritualistic significance to the whole thing, which most people are not able to grasp because they just can't really comprehend the language of symbolism. They just don't get it. Okay, but um, we can see that they were doing that with, um, you know, the, the music industry. They're still doing it today. You know, the esoteric. But what they wanted to do was create a new culture, teenage culture. Because, see, it didn't exist. See, if you were really hip back in the late 1940s, you were listening to your parents' music, and you were listening to bebop. That was the hippest music out there. It had to do with people like uh, Charlie Mingus and uh, uh, Charlie Parker. Uh, We're talking about jazz. A lot of these guys were drug addicts. And, you know, in the... uh, 
fifties you had the beatniks, which preceded the hippies, you know. But um they created a culture for teenagers and one of the reasons they did that was to create generation gap. And they create all these terms, by the way, in think tanks, you know, generation gap, uh, hippie, beatnik, bebop, teenage. Where does all this stuff come from? It comes from them. They create everything. You know what I mean? Um, right. We're not able to create terminology because even if you did, they make it successful because they control the media. You see that? So right. if they don't like the term, it's not going to circulate. No matter how much we like it, it doesn't have a chance. So that's an easy way to, to tell that all these terms come from them. Theoretically, we could come up with a term and they actually go, hey, we like that. We'll make that successful. You know, we didn't think of, think of that ourselves. But that, that, that's okay. We'll, we'll promote that, okay? Theoretically, that could happen. But that's only because they like it. I'm saying if they don't like something, it doesn't have a chance. You know what I mean? And so they uh, put out these important figures like James Dean. See, he, him and Elvis, he was – those are the main guys. And they're, they're both um, – I believe that James Dean was a knowing Satanist, okay? Um, Elvis Presley, he fits more of like the mind-controlled slave, you know? And uh, but what they were doing was um, promoting what's called you know we'll call it black music, and you know I hate I hate to uh, illuminate some white people out there, but um, what did I say earlier about pe- everyone's not equal? We don't like to talk about this in this program culture, okay? But there are some things that black people are superior at. They're I'm just telling you flat out they're superior athletes, and they're superior musically. Now that Somebody would say, that's your opinion, okay? Well, if you look at all these rock stars, well, I don't mean all these rock stars, but, you know, a lot of the big ones, you know, like Eric Clapton, people in the Rolling Stones, stuff like that, I mean, they would openly admit that they were imitating uh, blues musicians who are almost entirely black. But that's what, um, I mean, music historians will tell you that. That's what that's what Elvis Presley's music was. It was black music. And it actually goes back to the field haulers, which were highly rhythmic. Uh, they were collective, you know, as they were out there picking cotton. And they had a religious connotation because they were an oppressed people. So it's really religious music. Is, but the black man has more of a sense of rhythm. You know what I mean? Now, you can see what the Illuminati has done with all that. They destroyed everything with this hip-hop culture. You see that? Where did all the good music go? You know, I've got um, a huge collection of uh, classical uh, blues and jazz, and my most recent album is 1966 Miles Davis. So that tells you a lot about what I think about the devolution of music. See, the old stuff is, is technically better, but you have to develop an ear for it. Keith Richards, the guitarist of the Rolling Stones, he uh, he made a really funny statement recently about um, about rap music. It's it's music. He said this just recently. It's it's music for people that are uh, tone deaf. Uh, <laughs> they don't have a, a clue what real music is. And some people will say that he doesn't have a clue either. Well, that's that's an opinion. But Keith Richards um, is a semi you know blues guitarist, and he. Uh, he actually said that he's copying these older black musicians, 
like Muddy Waters, and even going back to Robert Johnson way back in the 30s and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, they were uh, developing a culture to create division between uh, elderly people and the youth um, because all societies historically were oriented around elder statesmen. And as you grew up, you admired them and uh, internalized their experiential wisdom into your own life. Okay, This is the strength of uh, a, a society along with the family structure itself. And they wanted to destroy everything like that. That's what they did with the suffragette movement. They got That was to get Christian women out of the home so the, uh, the children can be raised by the secular state. They were wildly successful. And now they're creating division. And they've medicated the elderly. They just sit in front of a blinking screen. They don't have any wisdom. And even if they did, uh, the teenagers wouldn't care because they can't identify with them, thanks to all this programming, you see. So that's what they were doing there. And the television itself is actually a weapon, and it's primarily directed at Christians, if you're thinking straight about all that, because Christians are the target. Music is a weapon. It's been weaponized. And uh, you can't take everything and demonize it across the board. Uh, I'm not, you know, music is a complex subject, but it's um, it's a distraction. You got people in our culture that can't sit still for any significant period of time. They can't focus. They can't even be alone. They start to get fidgety. And if you can't focus or learn how to be alone, you will never become wise. Remember what I said earlier about the problem of being a female philosopher in the ancient world. In the ancient world, women raised children. If you raise children, you're around distractions constantly. It's not a bad thing. It's a gift from God to be around a child. It's a blessing. But you're going to be distracted. You're not going to be able to focus on philosophy. This is absurd, you see. So women have a disadvantage, but that's okay. They're not supposed to be philosophers, you see. It's okay. okay? Like I said before, it says that women will be saved through childbearing. And we just, you know, just move right along as if we didn't notice that in the Bible. That's in your Bible, okay? Because we don't we don't believe that today, you know. And uh, it, it's not compatible with modern Christianity because uh, that would create a lot of, of guilt. But, you know, you look at the big picture, you go, why do we have to be entertained all the time? Because we have to be entertained. You know how people entertain themselves, if you want to actually use that term, through history, all through history, you know what you know what they did? They conversed with other people. Yeah, that's all they did. They just talked at night. So the people, what happened to all that? And I've talked to my own show. You've got people that are so focused on these little tiny uh, electronic devices, they will sit right in front of you. I talked about this this one guy that lived in here in this little community I live in, and uh, and, and I actually told him about this, how people cannot focus because they have these handheld devices. And while I said this, he was looking at me, and he had this handheld device. And then he uh, he turned away, basically, his body language and just um, shut me down. This was a little bit later, you know, like maybe like three minutes later, and just started looking at his handheld device after being told that because it's just it's such a habit. You know what I mean? So that that's just what I wanted to contribute to all that. So. <clears throat> Uh, is very important element. I think that, uh, that's what's a big part of the reason why 
uh, this, you know, we have radio, we have the internet, we have uh, television, we have all these grand entertaining distractions, and um, we don't really, we've lost the ability to, to communicate and talk. And uh, I think it's all deliberate. Of course it is. I think it definitely, it definitely is deliberate. That was one of the reasons why I even started the show is that, you know, I realized there was absolutely nobody to talk to but what I was learning. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Well, I was, you know, listening to other people that have shows. And I said, well, maybe I should start a show too. Not because I knew anything that much, but or had anything to break off or sell, but just for the opportunity to talk to someone and have a, a conversation. And it's really an amazing statement to me how, um, first of all, you know, you are on the other side of, quote, unquote, uh, this place, this continent, and uh, here I am. In order to have that conversation, we had to reach out to each other via Skype and uh, talk shoot, etc. And uh, you know, I, I shared with you earlier about how I finally found a somebody, a first person in my life ever, who was able to have any kind of conversation like this on a one-on-one basis. And it's an 86-year-old man that lives next next door to me. He has a house there. And, uh, I'm thinking to myself, this can't, this has to be Providence, because there's nobody out there. I mean, literally, so this guy so that you mentioned earlier is 86 years old. He's 86 years. The darndest thing, though, he has uh, he has uh, he had throat cancer, and, and so he has a hard time talking. So, mm-hmm. but I say I said that that's just perfect. You know, that's, of course that it's going to have to be that way. But <laughs> but at least you know, he's got like a thousand books in the house, and he keeps bringing over one book after another. Hey, look at this! Hey, look at this! And uh, you know he's he's reading uh, uh, the two Babylons, dogs in Hislaw's book uh, mm-hmm. in the back, and then that's <laughs> like, all right, this is really cool, you know. Uh, but that's just uh, you know I mean, we we're talking about that. And he says, you know, it's that's his journey too. His journey. He's 86 years old. So he had a wife. He had, he had a son and all that. But you know, he's just been. You know, he was forced because of his dad. He was dad was into what his dad taught him this stuff, and so then he was interested in it. He said, "You know, I, I'm not interested in fiction. I'm just interested in the truth." So I'm like, "Wow, well, there you go." So you someday you got to come on my show. So I'd love to, but I don't think I could talk that long because of my throat, because it's you know, throat surgery. I'm like, darn it, <laughs> figures. But um, yeah, the thing is, uh, Dave, there's so few of us. There really is so few. And there's there's a lot of people. This is what I've noticed too. There's a lot of people early on, a little bit earlier than us, who don't have the ability to just shut up and listen. Does that make sense? I mean, think about this. How much time did you have to spend reading and listening before you felt confident enough to actually open your mouth? Oh yeah. Well, if you listen to my show, which started in 2011, and people have commented on us, you see me changing along the way. You know, right. I was not. I may not sound uh, like I wasn't very confident, but uh, I wasn't. I wasn't nearly as confident as when I started off with all this. And so it's really funny because you know when I look at my own journey just in the show and like the beginning, I'm totally convinced about some of the things that I was convinced about. And then today, to because I'm still willing to know the truth more than uh, 
prove to the rest of the world that I knew what I was talking about, those things changed. My ideals, my uh, understanding of Scripture, the way the world is, changes. This whole idea of staying humble. So it's really important because um, you're just never going to be able to make sense of the world if you if you have the attitude that you've got it figured out. You just won't. But uh, it's an important element. I know it seems like a contradiction to me saying. You're saying that uh, uh, you don't know. Uh, and that somehow represents knowing? Well, yeah, it actually does. And, uh, to even solve the problem, you have to recognize what the problem is. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah, you have to recognize the problem. That's really important. <clears throat> So we got this whole thing about Semiramis and this, uh, this, but you know, I'm starting to think at least uh, on Earth and in day-to-day life that really she just represents what the woman, actually, a corrupted woman's power is. Man, even if it's not corrupted, her vagina, sex. I mean, honestly, that's what it is. I don't use it. Her vagina is sacred. Her, her. Her genitals. I mean, I've gone on a rant about that. I can do that at the top of my head. That has to do with the lily, by the way. Right. Because they have a stylized lily, you know, for instance, the Florida Way, which you'll see in the Roman Catholic Church. That is her sexual genitalia. i just tell you that flat out right now. What is it also again? relates to Lilith. Hold on, hold on a second. What's the yeah. sexual What is the... You said what represents the her sex genitalia? The Florida lay the Florida lay is a stylized lily. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. You'll see that on the New Orleans Saints helmet. That's an easy way for people to recognize that. Mm-hmm. There's an esoteric symbol right in front of your face. See, and what is you know how many people are watching a football game? <laughs> you got Semiramis's genitalia on the helmet. How many people see? They don't understand the language of symbolism. First of all, they don't even know that. They don't know that's a lily. They don't have a clue what it means. And uh, but it, 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 they're glorifying this woman that I just mentioned. You see, and, you know, you've got, you've got to qualify. You see, they're going to have somebody at the top. So let's stop and think for for a moment. The Illuminati is very concerned about hierarchy because they're concerned about power. Okay, and they sign up us into you know you're all equal. So that's going to be a lie. So the truth is the exact opposite. A 180-degree lie. That's what I call it, okay? So how are you going to qualify to be the number one woman, a human woman? You're going to have to live in the right historical period, okay? It would have to be early, okay? The setting that aside, it's important to understand. You better believe that if they're concerned about hierarchy, they're going to have a woman who they think is more powerful, more influential uh, in their belief system. So you figure that out now and start looking around. Who would she be? Queen Elizabeth, you know, in the 16th century? Who would this woman be? Because I guarantee you there is one. So start looking around. See, Christians are not even, as usual, they're just not even in the game. Because they're not thinking along. See, they don't believe in Illuminati. That's the problem, okay? you, you got to get the first base first, okay? So we've done that. So now start thinking around, who do they think? Who's the woman? that Because they're, they're into honoring. 
and glorifying their own. So who is the woman, historical woman, that they would honor and glorify the most? Because there has to be one. So look around. See? And um, if you look uh, long enough, hard enough, you'll realize that it's most likely her. I mean, I'm certain. I'm not... It's not a theory. Are we talking about Katy Perry? Uh, I'm glad you brought her up. But I'm not talking about Semiramis. But um, let me give you an example of this whole thing, okay? There is absolutely no question whatsoever that Katy Perry is glorifying Semiramis, ISIS. All you got to do is look at this um, video. That I mean, the entire thing is Egyptian. And that is something that is so in-your-face obvious that the YouTube, uh, the YouTubers are right about that. that. That is ISIS, okay? But like I said before, they're using that to mock, to some degree, the Queen of Israel. You see this consistent pattern of using um, the figure of Semiramis to defame and mock the coming queen. This is what they're doing over and over again. You just have you have to start looking and then watch for the emerging patterns, this consistency. See, they know that most people have an either or mentality. You know, it's either this or it's that. Now they don't even have a coming queen, so that means they're just gonna focus on ISIS and that's what you'll see all the YouTube videos do. You can ask yourself this question, do these YouTubers know anything about this coming queen of Israel? No, they don't know anything. So they're not able to process the information. This is true. If there's a coming queen, they're not not able to process it. All they have is ISIS. Now, they've they've actually got that right, you see, but it's complicated. But it's not either or. It's both. Now, they're not always doing this. Sometimes it's just Semiramis. Most of the time it's the queen. But I want to reiterate something I said earlier. This is a very low-grade media dum-dum. I mean, we, we call it that ourselves. You see that? We, we recognize that. Well, if I'm talking about you and me. If we recognize that, you better believe that they do. I'm going to throw out a radical concept. There's a plane going over. I'm outside. Yeah, you're by an airport, aren't you? Uh, reasonably. Um, I'm going to throw out a concept there that, as a general rule, they don't try to glorify the Antichrist in this dumb, dumb media. They do it elsewhere in their own media that's for them. We've completely missed the boat. Once we see this male figure, the only thing that we have that we can process is this Antichrist. So we're going to say, what's the Antichrist? Antichrist, Antichrist. What if there's somebody else that they're mocking? Well, we're not going to be in the game, okay? So you got to um, take Ezekiel 45:22 and either incorporate it, into your, incorporate it into your belief system or realize that it, now it's, it's not just this, it's this or that. So which one is it? Because at least deal with the theoretical level. See, we haven't even got the theoretical level. You know, possibly it could be this coming king that Dave is talking about and just for an easy way for people to process him, it's basically right down in the line the Jewish Messiah. It's the Messiah that they expected in the first century. That's the guy that's coming. 
exactly what they expected. And um, God sent them a heavenly Messiah, which they rejected because they couldn't process it. And now the opposite is going to happen. Israel and the diaspora, or what we call the church, Israel, the nature of Israel is hidden because God destroyed their theocracy. So they're a pilgrim nation. Okay? And uh, God is going to send them the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. All you have to do is study this person. And that's what you're going to see. Okay? They're expecting a heavenly Messiah. And they're going to be surprised too. And they will reject him. Because we can see that most people are highly programmed. We, we already know that, Christians, okay? And what are they highly programmed with? Left-behind propaganda, which is Jesuit dispensationalism, okay? And what does um, Jesuit dispensationalism tell you? Christ is coming first, right? And uh, I'm talking about before Jesus in the clouds, and uh, well, I didn't understand that. Like, do that again. What were you I've saying? That, now? Uh, it's a bit more complex than that. I'm talking about if you have two figures coming, um, they're going to switch them around. You know what I mean? The good guy will be the bad guy, and the bad guy will be the good guy. Because just what uh, propaganda actually teaches that uh, the pre-trip rapture happens first. You know what I mean? But you do have Christ coming later. There's two different comings, you know, so it's a bit more complicated than that. But as soon as the pre-trib rapture happens, then the Antichrist is on the scene immediately. You see that? <clears throat> so, I mean, the rapture is just a single-day event. And you could confine it to a minute, possibly. And people just disappear. That's over. And now, the Antichrist immediately emerges on the scene, and the seven-year tribulation process begins. Well, who is there on a day-to-day basis? The Antichrist. You see that? And the persons that are left behind are waiting for Christ to come and deliver them at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So that belief system tells you, once you have the rapture set aside, that the Antichrist, as far as an ongoing day-to-day basis, he comes first, you see. And then as far as an ongoing day-to-day basis, Christ comes later according to left mind belief system, because Christ comes in the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, and he comes to uh, to rule and reign on earth, in this yeah. earthly millennium, and this is what they teach, right? Right. So we're not talking about a single minute or a single hour. Antichrist comes first, once we set the uh, their doctrine of a secret rapture aside, okay. and then Christ comes. So we're talking about ruling. Aha! Okay, now we understand. They teach that Antichrist comes first to rule, and then Christ. See that? I'm saying it's the exact opposite. See, this guy is a king. And people have so much programming, they they can't... uh, And I can understand, because you're starting off with, like, nothing. You know what I mean? But they've been programmed to reject him as the Antichrist. Here's another plane. I hear it. Yeah, that's all and right. the, this, is a, this is the most important thing to understand. The only possible way, you have to get this, the only possible way 
that he can qualify to be the Antichrist is if he actually rules over the whole world. Now, that's true. You see that? But we don't believe that there's a king coming that's going to rule over the whole world. That's completely ludicrous. I've never even heard of this before. Well, you're just starting off here. You see, you're going to have problems. But what I want to establish is if this individual is coming, he has to rule over the whole world. Or he will not fit the parameters of the Antichrist. Because that's what they expect. Right. right. Now, I actually believe that this is going to happen. It will be, it will be brief by about three years, and then you'll have this um, <clears throat> exodus that we talk about, uh-huh. which persons are just totally ignoring. All you have to do is just take, and you got the whole thing chronologically there in Ezekiel 20 from about verse, I think, 35 onward, because the whole thing culminates in Israel. I mean, it's a physical exodus. It could be 40 years for all we know. There's a place of protection. He's obviously the leader. He's the same individual in Hosea 1.11. The way we can tell is because if you go to Hosea uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, Israel will live many days without king or prince, without ephod or idol. Uh, I don't have the Bible in front of me because I'm outside. Etc. Now, what is that? That's a period of probation. See, they are without these things. And we, we everybody knows that. But we're confused about who Israel is, because we have two Israels. Dispensational propaganda says there's two Israels. Replacement theology says there's two Israels. Maybe we should be suspicious that that's false, and there's only one Israel, and the spiritual Israel that Paul was talking about was an inner Israel, not an outer one, it's simply the remnant. Remember we talked about that? Mm-hmm. What is the problem with that? Now, why can't we discuss that? Because there's no discussion, once again. Okay? So, <clears throat> that clearly is a period of probation because they they have all these things that they're without things. And it says, They will come trembling to the Lord and David their king in the last days. Now, that's the context of Hosea. It's telling you that this figure who is literally the head, by the way. It says head, not leader, but head, you know, in the Hebrew. The literal, you know, English. They will appoint one head. That's the same figure as the king. Well, the figure in Hosea one eleven is a prophet. He's the new Moses, you see. That's why it's best to assume that this new Elijah figure is also the king, because Hosea one eleven says he's the head. And the Elijah figure comes to restore everything. So if he restores everything, he has to have authority. And um, he would have to be the king. Because not everybody believes that um, the new Elijah is the king. Some people think they're two different individuals. You see, But yeah, the the prophet, or the new Moses in Hosea one eleven is the same figure in uh, Hosea 3. And what does it call him again? David. The same as the book of Ezekiel. Now this figure, notice in Hosea 1.11, he's appointed. They do not have this figure in Christian 
eschatological belief systems. And that's a fact. Now, I said that the premillennial belief system is based around Ezekiel 40 through 48. That's the primary section of Scripture it's based on, besides their interpretation of Revelation 20, obviously. Everybody's interpretation is based on Revelation 20, where you're all-mill, post-mill, historicist, whatever, you know what I mean? I've got different interpretations. But the problem is, if you go to Ezekiel 40 through 48, you just have an earthly prince. So what does that tell you about premillennialism, which teaches that this heavenly Christ is ruling on a visible throne of David? It's false. Because if it was ever going to manifest, it would be in those eight chapters. And he's not there. And this was sitting there right in front of us the whole time. And it shows you that there's something fundamentally wrong with the Christian mind. Because you have to point these things out to people. If you point it out, anybody can see this. I've never had somebody, you know, get into a tangle with me in Ezekiel 45, 22. Just kind of like, wow, I've never seen that before. Well, you got to understand, that's going to crash all eschatological systems. They have to be radically rebuilt. If you still want to be, you really can't resurrect amillennialism because they don't have any room for his reign. And that's the historical view of the church, like I said before, because you have these three great events. <clears throat> you have the millennium, which is, theoretically, it would be right now, extending beyond the uh, apostolic era. Most people don't consider it to be a literal thousand years, obviously. And um, I actually believe there's truth in that as far as the concept is concerned. Okay, and that that continues until, until the the great of three events occur: the uh, the resurrection, the general resurrection, both the righteous and the wicked. By the way, very simple belief system, and um, the second coming, of course, and the subsequent judgment. Then you have an eternal age. So see, there's no there's no room for an earthly Davidic reign. It's not happening. Now, you can do that in postmodernism. You can place it before the second coming, which would re- occur at the end of the age. So what you would have, <clears throat> you could, for instance, you could say that, um, that this Davidic prince, that his reign is a historical type of David's kingdom. You see that? And, but there's a greater Solomon coming at the end of the age, and that's the heavenly Christ. See how that fits really nice? You go, wow, there's some nice typology. So maybe the reign of David and Solomon chronologically was actually a historical prototype of this. You see that? Now, you can also make this compatible with premillennialism. What you have to do is you're basically turning it into postmillennialism. Well... Yeah, it's not compatible with, with premillennialism. Yeah, it's not. Um, postmillennialism is the only one that you can really uh, that really survives, because in in the premillennial view, Christ has to come at the beginning of the millennium, and that can't happen according if this individual is coming. He hasn't even come yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when he comes, he's going to rule for a long time. It talks about this in Psalm eighty nine <clears throat> and Psalm seventy two. 
until the sun and moon are no more, and that would be the end of the age. Obviously, he's going to live for a very long time. And uh, so Christ would have to come at the end of the age after he's finished ruling. And what is that? Post-millennialism. See that? So if you're going to insert this eschatological figure, uh, pre-millennialism is a faulty belief system. And, of course, that is the, uh, the view that's being pushed upon us, because that's an essential component of dispensationalism. Now, you can... <clears throat> And this is what I recommend to people. Uh, if you want to be a pre-millennialist, um, become a historic pre-millennialist. You don't have to be a dis- dispensational pre-millennialist. And there's a lot of different uh, types of pre-millennialism. And uh, pre-millennialism in its dispensational form is either heretical or near heretical. It's um, got some serious, grievous errors at the very least. Because you have um, a view of salvation that's not compatible with the biblical view. They hold to the view that there were, people were being saved in different dispensations, basically without grace. You know what I mean? And uh, that, that's a huge problem. But um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's heretical. It could be. I don't really have the authority to say it is. But it, it's a, it's a definitely a erroneous belief system because man doesn't have the ability to save himself. You know what I mean? He doesn't have anything to offer God. Uh, you always the creature is always dependent upon grace. Every point along the line. And even if he had something to offer God, it would be insufficient. I realize that you know people think uh, differently, and I, all I'm saying is exactly what the Protestant reformers said. That's all I'm saying. We've we've lost touch with the Protestant Reformation. They were wrong about a lot of things, but they were also right about a lot of things. It was um, a hodgepodge of truth and error. There were so many errors in Roman Catholicism, you'd have to have a messianic figure to restore all that. That didn't happen because Martin Luther was not historical figure. And this is why Matthew seventeen eleven, like I pointed out earlier, it bypasses the Protestant Reformation. Because everything was not restored in the sixteenth century. Okay? And Martin Luther was not the new Elijah and neither was John Calvin. So that tells you God's opinion, despite the fact that that was the greatest restoration of truth in uh, historic Christianity, it wasn't held up to a doesn't hold up to a biblical standard because God just bypasses it. You see, now He's actually saying that he, that still has to do with corruption. Well, yeah, you can see that if you start dissecting it. What we do, we have this either-or mentality. We want a group to identify with. We want some Christian heroes, so we side with either one, and we. Uh, you know, like I pointed out before in my own show, it's amazing how Protestants cannot see that sometimes Roman Catholics are right and they are wrong. You know what I mean? And the same thing is true with Judaism versus Christianity. Christianity is not right about everything. You know what I mean? That's the way it should be. Now, with, with, if you look at um, religion through a Matthew seventeen eleven lens, where you have a tremendous amount of lost knowledge 
that's what you're going to have if you have corruption. That would be the natural result. Christianity is going to have significant error. It's very possible for a traditional religion like Judaism to just just keep on teaching the same old thing, and Christianity lost it, and Judaism has had it all along. They didn't lose it, you know what I mean? And um, that just shows you that the attack is primarily upon Christianity, because according to the Bible, despite what John Hagee says, um, you cannot be fully and finally saved in the long term, however you interpret that, apart from Christ. You, You can't bypass him. So you can be a good Jew and you practice your Orthodox Judaism, but um, you're not going to make it, according to the Bible. And this is why Paul said, uh, how will they know without a a preacher? Because if you don't have specific information to respond to, to accept, acknowledge that uh, Jesus is the Christ, uh, you know, it says in uh, 1 John 4, that if you don't acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ with a definite article, you are such a man as the Antichrist with a definite article. That's pretty extreme. Now take that and apply that to a well-meaning Orthodox Jew who believes that some uh, rabbi in New York is the current Messiah. What is that saying about that person? He's the Antichrist. Because he doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. So is he going to make it? Well, obviously not. He's the Antichrist. You know. We don't talk that way today about people. You notice how we tone everything down? You know, if you look at... I'm sure you've looked at, uh, like, you know, the way that Luther used to dialogue with people. I mean, he was very fiery. You cannot talk like that today in this culture. I mean, we're being shut down and punished and imprisoned. And that's what this um, big uh, you know, homosexual agenda has to do with. The primary focus, once again, of course, it's on Christianity. Criminalizing Christianity, they don't care about the homosexuals. They're not trying to empower them. Get a clue. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, there are some things going on there on a secondary level. But that always benefits the social engineer. They don't care about any of us. They despise us so greatly. It's virtually impossible for a person to comprehend how much they despise us. These people are unbelievable elitists and racists, and they believe that we are basically vermin and subhuman. And um, as far as the subhuman thing goes, as a devolutionist, I just want to inform people, you cannot have an ongoing devolution of your DNA and you continue to be historically what a human was considered to be. Eventually, you will become a subhuman. Now, I've said on my own show, <clears throat> where's the authority? It's appointed by God to give us reliable truth on a significant level. The important word is significant. Because if we don't have an authority, we don't even have authoritative definitions. So how do we know, and how can we determine what the heck a subhuman is? How do we even know that we're not subhumans already? We actually, we don't. 
and we actually have no way of determining it. It's just a word. We can throw it around. But the reason I throw it around is to get us to think. You cannot have eternal devolution and continue to have a historical human. And the reason I say eternal is because that's just, I'm just using an extreme example to illustrate something. Well, of course you can't. Eventually you're going to devolve to such a degree that you would have to create a new category with a new definition. The question is, have we already crossed that line? Let's take an example. If you're a cocaine addict, <clears throat> is it true or is it not true that you do not recognize the very day? There's, there's a very day when you become addicted to cocaine, right? You actually cross the line. Now, do you realize that? No. Of course not. You don't have any way of determining that. God would know. You know what I mean? So we slide across these uh, lines. Uh, we don't recognize these things because we don't have enough knowledge as humans. So what if, what if we've devolved to such a degree that we're not truly human anymore? Now, if you actually look from God's perspective, God is real big on like either or. You know, he doesn't have this great big gray zone in between the white and black of truth and error, or actually a lie. He's not like that, okay? So um, what if we are no longer what we used to be, and that's actually, you know, his opinion. We're not truly human according to a biblical uh, manner. Or definition. Now, the way to illustrate that with God's either-or mentality, <laughs> and that sounds funny. <laughs> God has an either-or mentality. It's either a truth or a lie. Okay. All these artificial things that we're putting into our body, like our teeth, and putting plastic and steel, like uh, stents in your heart, and they do this. Um, for a diabolical reason, because they despise us so greatly. I've talked about this on the show recently, about medical mutilation. I mean, they could use, for instance, there's natural plastics out there, okay? They have them in Europe, you know what I mean? We live in this highly plasticized society. All plastic is a poison, because it's a chemical. And guess what, folks? It has synthetic estrogen. All plastic has synthetic estrogen. Is your doctor going to explain that to you? Well, I'm going to put this plastic in you, and this is the way it's going to be for the rest of your life. But, you know, it has synthetic estrogen, and it's going to leak into your body. Do you have a problem with that? Is your doctor going to tell you that? No. He's not going to tell you that, okay? And that's a different subject about why he doesn't do that. But um, anyway, uh, we are actually transhumans, okay? Um, Because it's unnatural, dental care, everything is done the wrong way on purpose. Things are put into us that shouldn't be there. Things are taken out that shouldn't be taken out, like tonsils, appendixes. And we've been programmed, well, you have to do that, the doctor says. Uh, They weren't doing that stuff historically, so why do we have to do it now? Does anyone ever think for themselves, instead of trusting science, which replaced religion in this sick, satanic culture, that God had a purpose with the appendix and your tonsils? 
you know, Hippocrates said that um, surgery should be a last resort. Why can't we just think along that? We're not going to agree with God. Maybe we can agree with him. Oh, no, we got to operate. You know, we got we got to cut your leg off because you got a bacterial infection. It's so incredibly easy <clears throat> to deal with that. You just flood the flesh with hydrogen peroxide. If it doesn't work the first time, try it again. If it doesn't work the second time, do it again. And uh, if you have problems, um, hold it off with, you know, a number of natural antibacterials. And then go down to Mexico, and they'll uh, put you on hydrogen peroxide intravenously or actually inject it, localized, and you will not have to uh, cut your leg off. I mean, this is total mutilation. But anyway, my, my point is um, <clears throat> transhumanism because there's – when we think of transhumanism, we've been conditioned to believe in – has to do with human evolution. You know what I mean? We're getting better and better. Come on. What are they doing – to use technology to improve humanity. I don't see anything. I mean, now, exception, uh, <clears throat> we always talk about surgery. I'm just going to set that aside, okay? But that's not helping with your your evolution, okay? And uh, I've talked about that before. I don't want to go in right now. But what I want to talk about, just point out, is um, we're talking about devolutionary transhumanism. You don't hear anybody talk about that. You see, from God's perspective, when you're putting artificial things in your body that don't belong there, which are actually created by scientific witchcraft, because you're you're twisting and bending nature. When you take something, see, what do you have to work with when you start off? All you have is nature. There isn't anything. Well, where does this plastic come from? You see? Aha. Uh-huh. They synthesized something and perverted it and twisted it. And now they want to put it into your body, you see. And well, it's just everywhere in our society. We live in the plasticized Jesus. It's not, su- it's not surprising that we put up with a plastic Jesus because people, uh, they have plasticized minds. Their minds think artificially. They don't think along natural lines. You know what I mean? They live in an artificial society, and uh, they're conditioned to that. And all they know is mediocrity. They don't get exposed to excellence. So that's why they think you're strange if you try to uh, introduce these concepts. But, yeah, they're not going to uh, accelerate our evolution anywhere. Uh, They're using technology, which is the only thing that's advancing to accelerate human devolution. And they're doing that through this crude, devolutionary transhumanism, which nobody's even talking about. Because they have a cultic mind, and they embrace the the cultic way of thinking, and they can't identify what's right in front of their face. That's the same old problem. If enough people are doing it, it's normalized, and they can't step back because they're not educated, Step back to the big picture, and you know this is when you, it's important to have an ancient mindset and go, hold it, this is wrong, and this is not leading in a good direction. No, people just go along with the show. So anyway, I'd like that rant. <laughs> well, it's just uh, it's making me think about um, 
Well, you say people have like a plastic mind and a plastic. I never even said that before. <laughs> Plasticized mind. mind. A plasticized body. mind is a mind that just accepts artificiality. See that? Well, that's, that's no protest. You know, see, this is the issue. If we are honest about it, the majority of us have been raised in this uh, artificial culture. Yes. So, in other words, even to use, for instance, as far as ailments goes and uh, disease, using natural remedies, we talk a lot about it, but the truth of the matter is what natural remedies they had even 100 years ago, the majority of that, you know, the bulk of that knowledge has disappeared. Yes. And uh, we don't know how to use it anymore. They've masterfully have taken that away from us to the point now, because we live in this a system of where, you know, I just think about my own self with uh, my multiple sclerosis. So um, I think about uh, how the most likely contributed to my uh, multiple sclerosis was environmental factors like uh, vaccines, uh, pesticides, herbicides, uh, the diets. Pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, but the problem is, see, this is because we're in the system that we're in, once the, your body has been tainted by this, they have the control. And I see this in my own experience because I tried two and a half years using nutrition to treat MS, and it was great. But then I got Lyme disease, or not Lyme disease, I got uh, shingles. And it, and it just, everything went haywire again. And I, I actually realized something, that I had to be on their medication. Does that make sense? And so why is I, that? I can talk to you about that. Why is it, also, why is it that I'm dependent on the drugs? It is because of a lifetime of living in this plasticized environment, this synthetic environment, they've been working on this stuff to the point where most of us, because of our circumstances, because of the lack of a lifetime of being exposed to decent food, uh, etc., we become dependent upon their, their pharmacia, their sorcery of uh, of medicine. Why? Because they they want to profiteer off you for you know a decade or two before you die. This is how it's all about. This is what it's always about. You know, it's about exploiting you to the fullest. Once you're no longer of any value as far as physical labor as a slave, then well, they found out a new way to exploit you to the end, while also you know all the other assaults to go along with that. Yeah, you're but, a domesticated yeah. human in a farm system. Go ahead. You're not supposed yeah, to know yeah. that, though. Right, and and the thing is too is that so. I agree. You know, so we have this, this. They've disconnected us so much from our God, what God has given us on this world, and put us in this Babylonian system, this enslaved system. And, you know, it's kind of like this. You know, remember when the, the, the Jews were taking away captives and I guess they were taken away and with nose rings and stuff like that, chained yeah. together? Well, our new our new chain and nose ring is this modern society 
of medicine, the television, uh, radio, uh, these uh, all this food pa- packaged in this the, the plastic, etc. And it's all designed to absolutely corrupt us. Don't forget to cook it. Cook it in a microwave, just in case it was food originally, because it won't be anymore. Go ahead. Because <laughs> you're so in you a hurry, know. right? And you know why everybody's in a hurry, by the way, to get to cook their food as fast as possible? Because they're addicted to television. They don't have any personal time. Remember they told us back in the early 1960s, like we had this big World's Fair in 1962, and that in Seattle, by the way, and that was the number one World's Fair where they were pushing what I called, you know, the Jetsons vision, the old... Um, cartoon the Jetsons they had this highly technological society and how good it would be for us and what has all this technology benefited from us it's just accelerated human devolution they they could use technology they don't want to help us it's real simple they're not helping us they're hindering us as usual and now because we have technology they're doing the same thing that they always did they're hindering our development this is why they create wars so mankind can't properly develop because we always have to recover from disasters. You see that? So that's, this is what they do. It's They're highly advanced social engineers, and they know how to push our buttons. They know everything about us. Right. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, they definitely do. They've done a masterful job of controlling just about, well, not just about all our aspects of our lives. And the only thing that man has left these days, maybe always, uh, as far as we get into these uh, civilizations, uh, the, the city-states, kind of this, uh, these metropolises that we live in now. Uh, technological prison. Go ahead. Yeah, but now it's a technological we prison. We enjoy our enslavement, don't we? Because well, they give us bread and circus. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And... But it was, and because also the indoctrination being brainwashed, we don't realize that we're actually getting being fed bread and circus, or circus and bread. And, you know, it's uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think the circus is more important than the bread. <laughs> Despite what, all these uh, obese people in America, go ahead. <laughs> well, actually, actually, you're right. Obese Christians, by the way. Christians no, are some of the fattest the history, people around. Go ahead. If you look at the history of Rome, this is a strategy that they've done for thousands of years. And if you look at, uh, like, uh, 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, the same things were going on. It was a different version. They didn't have the the technology that we have today. But they were still doing the same thing, a, a, a mediocre, impoverished diet, and giving the masses entertainment, maybe it was in the gladiators or whatever it would be. There are many different things. But, yeah, they were never given freedom, the ability to take care of themselves. And even that, people, we've got to remember, too, you know, how many of us have actually lived on lived off the land right. at all, let alone significant enough time to develop skills to do that? doesn't matter who you are on this show or out there. We're all slaves to this system, and we've really been reduced. I think God knew this was happening and was going to happen. He allowed it to happen. He says judgment, whatever. The fact of the matter is, is that you know He knew that it was going to be. Uh, 
There was only one option, a spiritual option for a man in this system. This is our only way out. And um, there is no way to escape this empire, the Roman Empire that we live in. No way at all. Let out. It's a dream, a pipe dream, if you think it's going to happen. Um, It's just not going to happen. I mean, I know it sounds like, well, you're just being defeatist, Mike. But listen, there's 7, 8 billion people out there. There's a couple of us even talking about this. Uh, There ain't going to be some great, massive, global social movement. It's going to, mankind is going to rise to the occasion and and do what's right. It's just not going to happen. Um, that's the reality of things. So. We've got to put that in perspective when we're talking about these things. Now, you look at uh, the whole satanic system that we're under, and we're talking about how this corrupting us and devolving and taking away our humanity and uh, what... God originally intended us to be, well, it's quite obvious that's the case. And it's quite obvious that that's what we've been warned about. So, um, what do you do about that? So, it's interesting, too. I mean, I personally feel flat out that what I see Pope Francis, that that is the Antichrist, that's a symbol of the Antichrist system. The biblical historical antichrist is the papacy. I do, I do believe in it. I recognize the argument too about the fact that antichrist can also mean it's standing in place of. Um, and um, Satanists don't reject necessarily Christ, do they? They they recognize him, who they he exists, in the sense that he exists, but uh, they they won't follow him in his teachings. They won't dismiss him. So. I don't know. It seems to me like uh, it's really a really hopeless cause when it comes to thinking about any kind of massive social change. So the biggest thing is about putting more faith in Jesus Christ. One thing I want to talk to you about, though, when we talk about all this distortion of history, we left off last time. I tell you what, why don't you hold that? I want to say make a quick comment that I've never made on my show about the okay. importance knowledge, which I'm always always talking about, because I'm going to illustrate what will, hope, what will hopefully be a self-evident fact, okay? So we've got all these, you know, how do we get out of this mess, okay? Well, if you are an intelligent, informed Christian, you will say, it all begins with prayer, right? Yeah. But there's something that precedes prayer, and that's what we've forgotten, knowledge, See, the scripture teaches that you have to know what to pray for. And Jesus actually taught that the only prayers that actually get answered are those that in accordance with God's will. So what it's teaching there in Romans chapter 8 is we don't know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. The Protestant reformers taught that God moves through the Christian to illuminate their mind on what to pray for. And those prayers or in accordance with the will of God, and that's why they get answered. Otherwise, you're going to have a chaotic universe. You know, God is saying, well, you know, this is not really the best thing to do, but because I love you so much, I'm going to answer your prayer anyway. You know what I mean? It's going to cause some problems here, but yeah. That's what Christians actually think. Okay, so how do we get out of this mess? I want to illustrate something. 
You've got all these sincere, naive Christians out there who obviously don't have any knowledge. And they're, they're, they're dedicated to prayer. Now, I'm not trying to demean prayer in any way whatsoever. I'm trying to illustrate the importance of knowledge, which we are not talking about in Christianity now. Because I believe it has been taken away for a diabolical purpose, because information, knowledge, is very, very important to these social engineers. They've taken it away from us. You can see now how Christians are suffering uh, by going off to uh, enlist in the military and die for wars that they don't even understand. Or where they go, they march off to get their chemotherapy, or whether they're marching in the March of Dimes to uh, think they're going to go win the, the, the war on cancer. These are fool's errands, and you can possibly die from these things. That shows you the importance of knowledge. Okay, so Christians can pray to their blue in the face. Again, I don't mean to demean prayer. You've got Christians out there praying, but they don't know what a chemtrail is. They don't know that um, microwaves are harmful. They don't understand that all chemicals are poisons. They uh, think the doctor can heal them. They don't understand that if they go to the doctor and get a drug, they're going to become a drug addict. They don't understand that all chemicals are poisons. And they don't understand that we've got a weaponized environment. They don't understand that there's highly organized infiltrators in Christianity. There's false teachers everywhere on Illuminati payroll. They don't understand these things. So how are you going to circumvent that problem? You know how you're going to circumvent it? Knowledge. Knowledge has to accompany prayer. You see that? You can't just pray. Now, again, check this out. Everyone wants to have revival, right? We've got to have revival. Well, yeah, we've got to have revival. But guess what? You are not going to have revival unless you have reformation. You know why? Because it all starts with truth. And what is truth in a Christian context? Information, knowledge that comes from God as a gracious gift, that's what leads to reformation. Revival is the outgrowth of reformation. Now, it's funny, because you've got Calvinists out there. The people throw around these words that they identify with. So in Pentecostalism, they don't really identify with the word reformation. They were identify emotionally, because they're not thinking they're just repeating, oh, I like that word. They throw around the word revival. And Calvinists talk about, well, we've got to have reformation. You know, we're the ones that know. We're, we're smarter than you. Well, you know, they're, 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 they're mostly right about that. Okay? But um, you've got to combine both of them. Because you can't just have knowledge without a heartfelt religion. It has to affect you on an emotional level. You know, God wants you to love him. So you've got these Calvinists out there that are so intellectual, they've lost, you know, um, the emotional aspect. So it's it's always the same thing. It's about balance. But as any philosopher or theologian will tell you, certain philosophical goods precede others in order. And guess what everything begins with? Knowledge. Because you can talk about hope all you want to, and you can talk about love all you want to. You can talk about the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, but you have to understand that there's an ordering of information and knowledge precedes all things because in order to have hope, you have to have an object of hope and you cannot have an object of hope without information or knowledge. And the same thing is true with love. 
you have to have an object to love. You have to have something. You know what I mean? Even if you love yourself, that's based on self-awareness that you exist. You see? So knowledge precedes everything. And it's absolutely amazing that Christians pay so little uh, attention to to knowledge, but we can see that Christians are suffering everywhere from a lack of knowledge, and actually is they don't have any information. And you know why? That information, which is critical for their well-being, has been taken away from them. And that, the only way that that can happen on this grand of a scale is a punishment from God. You see that? And this is a corporate punishment because you can see that the great majority of Christians, they're basically just clueless about reality. You know, just like when they went to school and they just embraced the heliocentric belief system. Whether that's true or not, it doesn't even matter. We know for a fact there was no critical thinking. They just believed what they were told. There was no option. Just believe what you're told and march on. See that? So their minds are largely enslaved. And God has done this. And this is perfectly consistent, by the way, with Matthew 17, 11. If you have a radical loss of knowledge, you're not going to be able to act correctly because correct action is preceded by correct information, knowledge. You have to have knowledge in order to act correctly. So this is why they don't know the right hand from the left. And uh, But anyway, everything is just fine. We're doing great here. We got the stamp of God's approval. And people ask me, nobody actually has yet, by the way, Dave, why do you say that Christians are delusional? I would say, why do you say that they're not? Because it's a self-evident fact they're delusional. Anyway. Go ahead. Now, what well, do you want to say? Well, you know, well, according to prayer, I can tell you that God has reduced me to a very simple prayer that is to have mercy on me and to grant me abiding faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And everything else, whatever you give me, God, that's cool. Your God. You know, prayer oh. has different components. And uh, one of the components is so worship. And uh, it, that, that does have to do with knowledge, but I was not really addressing that. Um, well, I'm just saying, because you were bringing up this whole thing about revival and more Reformation and then you're going to have a revival... I don't pray for any of that because uh, I don't find that to be really important. Mm-hmm. Really, I don't. I, what I find is that each man must walk his walk with God alone. And what more can a man ask for but to, to have uh, God's mercy and grace and uh, abiding faith in Jesus Christ? That's it. That's you're talking about your focus of uh, love, that you focus your love on, and a uh, focus of hope. That's it. If you're putting your hope in the, uh, men, men's institutions, that somehow we collectively can change things, well, <laughs> you know, that's pretty delusional. Yeah, I did so, a show on that. Uh, it's actually in the title. And, and, and people were tripping out about it because I was exposing that we actually um, are putting our hope in the system without even realizing it. It, I established there is nothing to place your hope in apart from God. That's it. That's it. Because nothing is reliable. Nothing is certain. 
This is why God cannot have a changeable nature. Because if he can change one iota, how do how can we measure how much he can change? Maybe he can gradually devolve over trillions of years. Because you're, you're, the object of your hope is the promise of God. It's actually a promise, you see. The promise is, is that you know eternity is secure. All right. Based on the nature of God, what if the nature of God changes? So you can't have changeability with God, or you don't have any certainty when it comes to hope. People don't think about this, you see. Yeah, so that's pretty much what it comes down to. I mean, that's how it's, it sounds so too simplistic, uh, but yet that's really hardly the case. Um, that uh, we're in all our hope is in God, and it's not in this world. It's not a man. It's we're not. If we're you know if we're true, you know believers in Jesus Christ, who He says He is, then that's what we should put our hope in. So. But, Michael, uh, we keep this to uh, downloadable size um, on TalkShoe. Um, I think the biggest you can download I've seen is like four hours and 15 minutes, but sometimes it won't download three hours and 45 minutes. I think okay. we're right about three hours right now. So. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to end here pretty soon. Okay. Um, I, I, uh, I wanted to talk about your perspective once again about the state of Israel and uh, – yeah. Where it's supposed uh, to be located. That's where we left off. So, I don't know. Do you feel like addressing that at all tonight, or is that well, something? I can mention one thing: is the audio got cut off. As I was saying, that when they create words, have power. Now let's back up. Knowledge has power. Now they know this. They don't want us to understand the significance of that. So, because knowledge has power, information has power, and words have power. Now, they also use words in weaponized forms to attack the subcon- both the subconscious and the conscious mind. I've proven before on my show that we have a, uh, a subconscious mind. In the Bible, it's called the conscience. It's superior to your surface mind. Christians will acknowledge it, but not do anything with it. Ask yourself this question. Do you think that uh, since this superior mind exists, do you think that the Illuminati would direct... Uh, propaganda at it. Well, they direct propaganda at everything. So that's kind of a stupid question. You could theorize maybe it's not susceptible to propaganda. Well, you could theorize about that. Okay. It's not so much that um, it's like the vehicle of propaganda. Maybe it's not affected at all, but it impacts the uh, the conscious mind by dribbling down information that the conscious mind can't uh, process. Like we are in control. We are in control. We are in control. What are you going to do about it? And the person doesn't believe in Illuminati. There's no Illuminati. There's no Satan. And yet they live in fear of these things that the surface mind refuses to acknowledge because the Satanist knows, excuse me, the atheist knows that there's a God in this view. Because there's an inner aspect. Ask yourself this question. Does the conscience of the atheist know there's a God? Now, people well, will say, well, it says in the scripture that your conscience can be defiled. and I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about if it holds up at any point along the line, you would have to say that all of their consciences are defiled. You know what I mean? But I'm saying there's an inner part of man that's superior. An ancient man used to understand this that actually knows things that the surface mind doesn't know. And if you don't, this is the importance of knowledge, because if you can't put this information in proper context, then it's going to affect you on a level of, like, fear. You don't have any knowledge. You know what I mean? So, 
So right. we were talk I was talking about how they're using these words to communicate things. And uh the one thing that I got caught off cut off there was the word Turkey. Isn't that a strange name for a country? Now that is a modern word that is post World World War One, because it used to be the Ottoman Empire. Now the focus of propaganda is the English language and Christians in Western society. Do you think that's true? Yeah. They're the ones that the word Turkey is directed at. You see that? Now, I'm saying that that, is a, that term is, is mockery and because of their stupidity. They don't even know where uh, ancient Judea was, so they're mocking them. You can look up the word Turkey. It actually has that meaning. It has more than one meaning, you know. Sure. But, so that's that's where the uh, audio ended right before I could say that. So what you were talking about, there's two different subjects here. That's 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 actually sufficient unless you want more details. I've got notes so I can come back and we can talk about this. But um, that's sufficient as far as the geographical type thing. But um, what you started off talking about was actually a different issue. Uh, this has to do with what we, what we could call false Zionism or Christian Zionism, because Christian Zionism is an alternative term for dispensationalism, or even left behind uh, belief. Because see, there's a there's a biblical Zionism. Now this is interesting because in replacement theology, guess what? There is no Zionism. You know why? Because it's all metaphorical and fulfilled in the church. See, there's no literal restoration of Israel. There's no literal Israel at all in the future. Isn't that amazing? Now this is this is this is amazing. Because that's what majority of Christians believed, historically. They accepted that belief. Well, they spiritualized all these texts. You know what that is? That's a cultic system of interpretation. The way I like to explain it, just go to um, Ezekiel 47. Like I said before, you've got these small tribes with allotments of land. And uh, they have to spiritualize the whole thing and apply it to the church. It's just saying the same thing as it's talking about in the book of Joshua. There's no different. You see that? But you cannot uh-huh. make allowance for that in amillennialism because there's no room. So we, we are forced to spiritualize the text. And you are completely blinded about Bible prophecy if you're going to do that. They did a masterful job, and it worked for a long time. And no wonder they can't see the Queen of Israel in uh, Psalm 45. They're incapable of seeing her because she cannot be because there's no room for her rule. She's the consort of the king. You see that? And what we need to do is at least deal at the, at the level of the theoretical for people that are hearing this for the first time. You know, maybe these things can be true. Um, how can I prove them wrong? You don't have to embrace this stuff right away. Start thinking along the lines that it's Maybe this or that, and this is not just all about the Antichrist, all this propaganda in pop culture. Um, in other words, they're not just promoting the Antichrist. Um, they're uh, they're mocking the Davidic king they know is coming, and they're mocking us because we don't, we don't know anything about it. A good example of how they could um, exalt the uh, the Antichrist figure. He's basically the Cain. Uh, Nimrod, Nero figure, if you can uh, 
digest any of that. I believe he incarnates more than once. But um, it appears that they're glorifying him with the figure of Dracula, which is the most commonly portrayed individual in the history of Hollywood. And What does his name mean? Son of the Dragon. Now, who is Cain? Um, who I'm talking about, you know, however you want to interpret that. You don't have to interpret that as um, serpent seed doctrine. You know what I mean? Like some people right. That he's literally the son of, that uh, spiritually he is, you know what I mean? And, um, I mean, even Jesus himself said the Pharisees, their father was the devil. So, I mean, this principle is in the Bible, no question whatsoever. So it's it's all a question of how is he um, the father of Cain or Nero or Nimrod, these major historical figures. Because, you know, if you're, once you figure out Semiramis, usually you start with Nimrod and go to her. But it, it can work in the other direction, too. We already established this um, this dark Eve, because she stands out like a sore thumb. Here's the thing. Who in the heck can compete with Samaramas, um, let's say, before Jezebel? Cleopatra? I mean, there is, there is nobody. You know what I mean? You just don't have any competition. What you understand is that the symbolism all, is all based around her. It's not based around Cleopatra or Queen Elizabeth in the 16th century, based around her, over and over and over again. The only competitor, by the way, is Lilith, which the average Christian can't process. But in Judaism, she is a legitimate historical figure, just like this. So was Lulua, who was the first wife of Cain. They they, they know who the first the wife of Cain is. It's Lulua. That's her name. It means beautiful. We don't acknowledge Jewish traditions, so. We don't have this kind of knowledge. We don't have a Lilith. And uh, I, I'm not trying to say that this stuff is true. I'm just saying it's there. We we don't pay attention to it. Because we, we start from the first century and we work forward. We just ignore tradition. We ignore any... Uh, all we, we, we discard all pagan traditions. And uh, we thumb our nose at Jewish traditions. We're highly suspicious of them. And we also... Um, overreact to uh, the Eastern Orthodox view and the Roman Catholic view of tradition. And the reason I say that is because it says right in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 that tradition in the apostolic era has the same authority as written scripture. Now, does it say that or does it not say that? Go look at it. It says it doesn't matter. You have to obey it. You know what I mean? Now, we don't have that view in Protestantism, because the Protestant reformers overreacted to the errors, I'm not saying they're right, the errors of the Eastern and Roman Church. They were wrong, too. See, none of these positions are balanced. But actually, you have to acknowledge tradition at some level. And by the way, it's it's wrong to represent uh, Protestantism as being anti-tradition, as if they don't pay attention, because that Luther and Calvin didn't teach that. But it is true that they swung too far the other direction, and modern Christians do not have the view that Calvin and Luther did. So they don't have the same view towards tradition, just like they don't have the same view as towards the Apocrypha. We've swung way too far. See, we keep drifting, drifting, drifting. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. We have a like, childlike view of the Apocrypha. You've got too many people running around thinking it has to do with the devil. It's just complete ignorance. These are not studied people. They don't study. They watch television. 
We're talking about pastors too, because that's the pastors don't correct these kind of um, these things. So yeah, um, well, let's go for the throat here. I hold to the view. Oh, you got you got to look at the big picture. They had a long-term plan to have an anti-everything. So they have a uh, a false Israel, and they have a false Jew. Now this is what you have to think. Uh, you know, for yourself, that the devil and the Illuminati they want to create a f- something that's false for anything that's important. They're sufficiently motivated to do that. If it's important, um, they'll create a false duplicate. You know what I mean? So they're going to have a, that means they're going to have a false Israel and a false Jews. Well. Notice how people are not even thinking. Where's the false Jews? Look around. Because they're there. They have to be. We haven't even see, we're not even in the game. We're not even we're not even engaged in thinking. Of course they would create false Jews. The Jews that they tell us are Jews, the media, those are not Jews. Um, unless you want to, now you, you can play around with this and say they are Jews based on how you interpret the word Jew. But I'm, I'm not going to do that because the word Jew is, is false. It's just that's another little weaponized term. But I'm just keeping it simple. Okay, so <clears throat> um, the biblical Jew is not somebody with a hooked nose, olive skin, dark hair, and short stature. No. Okay. You know who the Jew is. They are um, the people with superior DNA. You can't talk about that in our culture. Don't, don't, don't say that, Dave. Well, hold it here. Is it true or is it not true that after Israel was developed, they had the um, most superior diet in the world? Dietary laws. Is that true or is that not true? If you have any knowledge at all about what's going to happen in a cause and effect world over uh you know, multi-generations, it's going to affect your DNA. Your, your your DNA is not going to stay the same. It's either going to get better or it's going to deteriorate. And I'm going to tell you something, nobody's DNA gets better because everybody's suffering from devolution across the board. Now, the exception to that is these uh, unknown supermen that I talk about who can use technology to advance themselves and circumvent all that, but we don't have the power to do that, so we're subject to ongoing devolution because of lack of knowledge and technology. Because you could use nanotech to convert yourself into a superman. If people don't want to believe that, then they need to rethink all that, educate themselves a little bit. But we don't have access to that. So um, they're going to devolve the slowest. Uh, prove this wrong. Show me somebody out there that had superior... I'm talking about now in these... Um, we got two things. We have a truly agrarian uh, culture, like in the jungles of um, the Amazon. Now these people are suffering from a lack of knowledge, okay? But they have—they actually had some advantages on the Jews, but they weren't significant enough to overcome the knowledge that the Jews had because they had God on their side. And if science has actually to- revealed that every one of those. Um, Dietary laws had a, had a purpose. Okay, the unclean foods had natural bacteria in them. You know, like uh, you know, like pork, 
or like a crab. Um, you don't want to be, those are all scavenger animals. And uh, they didn't even have laws for chemicals because there wasn't any chemicals. We need laws for chemicals because Christians just think they can eat anything. And they don't understand that a chemical is a poison, apparently, because they're just engaged in what's called auto-intoxication, self-poisoning, because they're ignorant. Okay. And what is God doing to help them? Well, he does help people individually, you know, but... See, look at the big picture. All you got to do is go, uh, you know, if you had a Christian shopping mall, that would be the most obvious way to illustrate this. All these people waddling down the aisles, just Christians here, you know, they go, oh my God, what the heck is... That, that's the best way to illustrate that the Christian is not only the target uh, of social engineering, but he's a product, an end product of hundreds of years of social engineering. You can see just by looking at them. And... If you know anything about health, which most people don't, you can tell just by looking at the pallor of someone's skin that they're highly toxic. Um, unfortunately, doctors today are, don't have that ability, but uh, a Chinese doctor can often diagnose people very quickly um, just by looking at them, sometimes before they even sit down when they come into a room. These things are not impossible to do. And you can tell when someone's highly toxic. And, and, and the thing is, People are high toxic, so everybody's toxic, so it makes it real simple, you know. If you're older, your body's a vessel that's going to accumulate poison. This is this is not hard. Have you done anything significant to um, circumvent that? Hardly anybody does, especially like with their intestines, which this is a festering sewer. They haven't done anything, you know. Um, so anyway, um, going back to the... Uh, the Jews, they had superior DNA because they had a superior diet. They had access to superior information. That's going to manifest externally because we're seeing that Christians today are the result of devolution, and that's manifesting externally. So reverse it. What I'm trying to say is that in physical appearance, they would be superior. Don't talk about that, Dave. You see, we're not supposed to talk about that in this politically correct culture. You notice that? And as soon as you, I, I'm saying that deliberately because a lot of people are so programmed. As soon as I say that, if something happens internally, well, that's that's your programming kicking in, because everybody has embedded programming. See that? So at least identify that you had an emotional response there, because your your programming kicked in. Because it is okay to acknowledge that. You know, in the Bible it says that uh, Rachel was beautiful in form. Who said that? God. We're not supposed to talk about that. How one woman is more uh, beautiful than the other. See how that's politically incorrect? Don't say that. You know. You know something? In this culture, you're not supposed to say anything about a woman's body in front of a woman. Because I'm going to say something I've never said before. Women are so programmed, and men are programmed too. You can't talk about a woman's body. It doesn't matter whether you say something good or whether you say something bad. They, you'll get a, a female response and it'll be negative. Let's take an example. With your wife. When your wife asks you, honey, how do I look tonight? You know what I mean? Uh, what you need to tell your wife when she's young, don't ask me these questions unless you want to know the truth. You really want to know the truth? Because I don't like those shoes and uh, I think that uh, sweater of yours looks weird. And what's going to happen to the typical American wife if you say that? She's going, oh, my God, you're you. I'm ugly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. 
like, do you really want to know the truth? Because, see, most of them don't want to know the truth. And so the men figure that out, so they kind of, like, lie. But you, you don't want to get in that habit, you know what I mean? So if you don't want to know the truth, let's not ask those questions, because most people are too programmed to deal with the truth. Because we don't talk about the truth in this culture. We're all living a lie, just different degrees of lies. And uh, So anyway, um, the Jews were physically superior people. They were taller and you cannot talk in this culture about who uh, is superior uh, as far as structurally. You can't you can't talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I don't even talk about it on my show. I said, no, I'm not going to talk about that. But I'm going to talk about how everybody knows who is. And the easiest way to illustrate that is look at um, who the men pursue. And I'll just leave it right there. No matter what race these men are from, they have a pre- prevailing opinion, and you know what their opinion is, and um, I'll leave it at that. That's all you have to do. Okay? So these are false Jews. Okay? Now, in the big picture, you have this Antichrist figure coming, and he's going to imitate Christ. You understand that? He may claim to be the reincarnation of Christ. We're not certain about that. There's a good chance that that's true. Okay? Now, if, if he's, who is he coming to fool? That's easy. Christians. Now, these are Christians that are conservative. But there's a lot of conservative Christians who are lacking knowledge. And these are the ones that he's coming to fool. He's not going to fool the remnant, um, although technically that can't be true. I won't go into that right now. There's going to be people that are martyred because they have insufficient knowledge and they'll be left behind. Anyway, <clears throat> and that little left behind term is a psyop. We'll be talking about that someday. <laughs> you notice that when I said left behind? Uh huh. Because Christians, there are going to be Christians that are going to be left behind. And uh, they're telling you that you, you're going to be left behind. Put a little spin on that. So, anyway, they have to, um, to push the envelope and make everything look, look very biblical. Okay, so they're um, they're going to have they're going to convince you that you've moved beyond a historical timeline, and that Christ has come to rule in His kingdom. This is absolutely critical because we know that they're pushing premillennial propaganda. We've already identified that earlier. You see that, and that's what they're pushing. Okay, they're not pushing any kind of you know Davidic king type thing. Okay, so anyway, and there are some alternative scenarios that I've never talked about. They may abandon the heavenly Christ and go with the Davidic king, but we don't have information about that yet. So they're going to have their king on a throne to fool Christians. And what is that going to be in accordance with the propaganda that they push, which is premillennial? You're going to have a false millennium. This is absolutely critical to figure this out. And you're just going, wow. Yeah, you're going to have this restored temple, restored Israel. Everything will be restored and it will all be physical. This is why they abandoned the replacement theology propaganda and shifted. This is very important. Shifted in the 19th century to dispensationalism because they were prepping for the 21st century. This is mind-boggling. 
they wanted that propaganda out there, uh, replacement theology, to do its thing. Um, and this is the reason why they shifted. Now, I actually came up with a really good reason why they did this, and I wrote it down. I can't remember right now, but hopefully I'll access that uh, sometime. Because it was really interesting. Because I always wondered, you know, why did they shift like that? Why did they just create dispensational propaganda, you know, in the second or third century or something like that? So anyway, you got to look at the big picture here, okay? So they're going to create a false Israel to fulfill these biblical prophecies and have a false Christ and a false millennium. So this goes back to why you had this Christian Zionist movement back in the 19th century, which actually can be properly distinguished from dispensationalism. That's more of the, uh, the theology, which was promoted through the Schofield Reference Bible. And this is what people believe today. They've been psyoped. Uh, Roman Catholics don't really pay much attention to Bible prophecy. And actually, somewhat interestingly, do, neither do people in the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's prim primarily um, something that has to do with, you know, quote-unquote popular religion. You know, as far as a head count, there's a lot of Roman Catholics. But these people are just kind of shuffling their feet. They don't really think about religion that much. They're just going through the motions. This is not always true. You know, uh, American Roman Catholicism is radically different than over in, like, Portugal or the Philippines or Costa Rica. American Roman Catholicism has more to do with, you know, liberalism. Because you've got extremely religious Roman Catholics out there. <clears throat> but I would say that they are in uh, the minority in America. Would you agree with me on that, Michael? Liberal Catholics? Minority in this country? Well, uh, religious devotion is, I think, more found in other, outside of America, as far as really, oh, yeah. yeah. You, you have people more of a secular humanist mindset. They're just attending yeah. church, go through the motions. They don't want to be the first generational generation in their family to not go to church. I actually believe that why a lot of people go to church, like United Methodist Church, Episcopal Church, Catholic Church... Because it's a family tradition, and uh, they're just going through the motions, and they don't want to be the first one to say, well, why don't we go to church? Because, well, because our parents stopped going. They don't want to be the ones to stop going. You know what I mean? They actually care a little bit, which is, means something. Not much. <laughs> you know what I mean? These people don't have any real, genuine religious fervor at all. You know what I mean? They have a secular, materialistic pleasure-seeking mind, and they're not sincerely seeking God. They don't open their Bibles, and uh, just going through the motions, okay? So anyway, <clears throat> that's what this all has to do with, is this future creation of uh, this false Israel, which occurs in stages. So obviously, they're going to have to do something along the lines of what they actually did uh, we'll say around 1948, you see. And it's it's a, an agenda. It actually goes back to dispensationalism, and then later in the 19th century, this Christian Zionist movement, which kind of cooled down, and then uh, got inflamed again, obviously, after you had this false Israel. 
restored. Uh, it's a false restoration, obviously, in 1948. You see? And, um, you know, my brother... Um, I was going to a, some a kind of a liberal, uh, large Lutheran school, and he actually came home and said that his professor told him that their Rothschild banking family was largely responsible for uh, establishing the state of Israel. I mean, this knowledge is is not uncommon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though most people have never heard of it, they haven't looked. You you have to look. You can't just stare at a blinking screen for the rest of your life. They're not going to educate you there. Go investigate something. This knowledge is all over the place. You just got to look a little bit, right, Michael? And you'll see. You, know, you can follow the money trail. You know. And like I said before, the Rothschilds are low-level managerial class. They're not running the show. Those are just banking families that take care of uh, those type of matters. They just follow orders. And they're not the true elite. But, yeah, I mean, it took money to build Israel, but it all has to do with establishing the appearance of a false millennium. And, you know, if you, um, well, I could make this complicated because we have different views of the future. Let me put it this way. If you believe in the seven-year tribulation period, this false millennium is not going to last for long. It's going to be very brief. Now, if you believe that I do, that there's going to be an extended exodus period, this period could be relatively long. You could theorize it could be 40-plus years. See, the big difference there, you see. Because um, Israel is not going to be restored, according to, specifically says this in Ezekiel 38, uh, until they come back from this exodus that's mentioned earlier in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 20. That's when the people come back from the land and they live in uh, unwalled villages. It says they're a peaceful and unsuspecting people. And this is the diametrically opposite situation we have over there in this armed encampment, which theoretically, as far as qualitatively speaking, Israel could be the most militarized nation in the history of the world. Because it's not a very big nation. It's not, first of all, it's not a nation, it's a state, technically. But um, you could make the case. It's, who in, who, you know, this just shows you how naive people are. You know what I mean? I mean, where did all these weapons come from? Well, they came from uh, the same source as who uh, militarized Germany after they had a devastating economic collapse. How did they come up with the best tech, uh, military technology in the world? How, how did that happen? You know what I mean? The Nazis? <clears throat> Somebody g gave them everything for a diabolical purpose. And Christians are blinded by Christian Zionism. Remember I said that there was a biblical Zionism based on the Abrahamic Land Grant Covenant. That's what scholars call it. And that has not been fulfilled. But this is interesting. The replacement theologian will tell you it is, and he'll speak lofty spiritual thoughts about how 
Everything is fulfilled in Christ. And if you don't believe that, you just don't have enough faith. And it all took place a long time ago. All the prophecies are fulfilled. That's a bunch of gibberish, and it's actually propaganda. See that? No. That has to do with the future, and you take it literally. You always have the same rule of interpretation. Unless the immediate or wider context of Scripture uh, makes allowance or gives evidence for a spiritual interpretation, you take that passage literally, unless it's obvious that it's not necessary. Now, there's, there's what's, what's an obvious example. Well, go to the book of Revelation or go to like Daniel 7, and you're a young neophyte Christian. You don't have to have uh, theological training to see that that beast there, <laughs> you're not supposed to take that literally, right? It's obvious. Who the heck's going to take that literally? Okay, So we're not talking about that. That's obvious. These are things that are <clears throat> are not obvious, and they're, we're trying to figure out what to do. Well, that's why you have these rules, you see. But um, this is proper uh, hermeneutics, and let me tell you something. This is disturbing, because we're talking about a historical Christian hermeneutic that is not only false, it's cultic. Because there's, when, you, when you take those 12 tribes that are giving the uh, allotments of land in Ezekiel 47, there's no difference there between you and Jehovah's Witness. You're twisting and distorting the text to make it fit um, your theological belief system. You have to twist the text because it won't fit. You see that? But we say, well, we're Christians. Well, I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care if you know Jesus and you, your heart is you know, gently warmed when you pray or read your devotional work. It doesn't matter. That's a cultic method of twisting scripture. If you can't see that, then you're blind. Because you're emotionally identifying with a club. Just like being a Freemason. Do Freemasons criticize Freemasonry? No, they defend it. See, that's the club mentality. Well, you know, I got saved, and there's this wicked world out there, and I got this testimony, and I used to be really evil. I used to smoke, you know, pot, and uh, get drunk all the time and party, and now I'm a Christian, and and you have emotional attachments too, buddy. You need to recognize that. You identify with the club. And when you get that club mentality, you start to become blind because you start defending your club. This is why Christianity has never been historically deconstructed at any significant level. I'm talking about turning within and looking at the obvious and saying that um, it's corrupt. You know what I mean? Which is interesting. If you look at um, Charles Spurgeon, he was talking about the unbelievable corruption, in his opinion, of Christian society in the 19th century. Now, this was the guy that was spending hours of his time in prayer on his knees. Okay. Just a second. Uh, Joseph got out of it. 
Yeah. Sorry, I had to ask a question. Uh, what did I just say? You said that uh, you were talking about Spurgeon and spending hours in prayer. And yeah, and he was complaining about the corruption. You know what he's talking about? Victorian society. Oh, my God. Put that in perspective. Do you realize how women used to dress back then? <clears throat> Look what's happening now. These little girls, that they're marching off to church uh, in these leggings and their bright clothes and uh, their adornments. Um, I've said this before, but you can make the case that there were prostitutes in New York City's 1950s that weren't as glarish as that. And I've also said that you have... You, you had secular people in the 1950s that had higher moral standards than the common conservative Christians did. Remember what I said before? On a corporate level, we've been pornified, sexualized. You see that? It was gradual. I call it the great satanic doctrine of gradualism. And unless you extract yourself from this society and... Um, Turn it off, because I'm telling you, they have embedded information in all technology. And people just wave their hand, go, oh, I just don't believe that. Well, you don't want to believe it. Are you going to investigate it? No. You know why? Because people don't want to know. So I'm making that claim. What if it's true? If you don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what image you look at. <clears throat> They're throwing sexual lingo at you and these short little embedded words and phrases, without you knowing it. And it's affecting, remember what I said before, the subconscious and the conscious, well, both. We'll just say it's affecting your mind, but you're not aware of it. The CIA was busted in Australia for doing exactly this kind of thing, and uh, they allowed that to be publicized. But the same thing is going on here today. I mean, it's, it's, this is simple, folks. You have to go to a YouTube uh, video to show them how, um, you know, these companies that were selling whiskey were putting uh, women's breasts and stuff like that in the ice cubes. You know, you're supposed to laugh at that. Go, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, we're serious. Can you be serious? This is serious, man. These guys know what they're doing, and um, they cover all the bases. And if you think that you can... Uh, can beat the system. Let me tell you something. You can't beat the system because you're in the system and you were born on Slave Planet. Now tell me how you're going to get off of Slave Planet because you can't go to Antarctica because that's controlled too. And most of what they told you about that was one big lie. Uh, the, the biggest lie of all, there is no continent. It's all fake. And uh, there's some people out there that are looking for a reason to reject all this because it makes them uncomfortable. And they'll latch on to that and they go, aha, he's an extremist, he's delusional. I don't have to listen to Dave. He doesn't believe in the, in, in the continent of Antarctica. Well, the continent of Antarctica has already been completely and utterly refuted. All you got to do is just um, pay attention to ships that sail around the edge and that will completely collapse the... Uh, theoretical existence of the continent of Antarctica. Because nothing nothing measures up. 
all the time. It, timing is wrong. We're talking about mathematics. Everything is wrong. Nothing is right. And it's irreparable, and it's just a matter of whether you've been exposed to the evidence or not. So have you been exposed to the evidence? No. That's one thing, uh, thing that uh, flat earthers are good at. I mean, what I'm talking about, by the way, uh, Michael, is just having a ship traveling along the coastline of Antarctica exposes that um, being lied to on a massive scale. So, you know, go out and prove it wrong. Uh, you can't do it. So, how are you going to prove it's a continent? Well, <laughs> you got to trust somebody. That's that's what we're doing. We're trusting the experts in a society of um, experts, and um, these experts are there to keep us down on the farm. And when you um, <clears throat> realize that historically, the common man, for whatever reason, he does not do research. That's just a fact. I'm pointing it out because you realize that. He is, um, <clears throat> this is Christians. They don't have to be non-Christians. I'm a Christians, too. They are... Um, an open, exposed prey for these highly sophisticated, satanic geniuses that are vastly superior to us. And people will not allow them to be that way. You'll see these people on uh, YouTube mocking Illuminati. They don't even know what the heck they're talking about. They don't even have a clue. They keep bringing the Illuminati down to a lower and lower level so they can relate to them and mock them and Obama's Illuminati. Well, yeah, he's Illuminati. He's about at the bottom. He's obviously of a mixed bloodline. Because he's, he is Illuminati. And he is related to the European monarchs. And they've actually said in newspapers that Obama is related to uh, other, you know, uh, presidents and senators and stuff like that. I forget who. But uh, they'll acknowledge this like one time like an article in the New York Times, and they don't say anything about it again. They say, we told you. <laughs> Just like they'll come out and they'll tell you, like, one time that, uh, well, actually, the air in your home is uh, more toxic than the air uh, in New York City. We told you. Or we'll mention, uh, well, actually, uh, we need to do something about um, all these toxins that people are... Uh, putting into the water system because they're throwing these pharmaceutical drugs down the toilet. So, you know, your water is toxic, and we need to do something about this. And then silence. You know, it's like, well, we told you. That's that's mockery. I get a kick out of these people out there on YouTube. <clears throat> they come up with these theories, which I actually believe comes from a think tank, that the Illuminati have the system of ethics where they have to come out and tell you that they're going to do something. That is complete garbage. These people don't understand the psychopathic, satanic mind. They don't have laws like we have. They're anti-law. They have laws, all right. But it's anti-law. It has nothing to do with any kind of ethic whatsoever. It benefits humans at any point along the line. <clears throat> That's just pure garbage. You know what I'm talking about, Michael? Sure. Yeah. Well, some people relate this to the revelation of the method. Well, I, I do not. You know, or some people call it the externalization of the hierarchy. There's an overlap with that, those kind of things. But no. Um, 
Now, I, I believe that they, they do certain things to appease God. Uh-huh. That's a complicated subject, which most Christians can't really process. They just don't understand how it works. But anything, any questions about um, this false Israel? You see that in the big picture? And I want to say one more thing, okay? The, um, there's propaganda in both directions about the Holocaust, uh, be careful of people out there saying, well, you know, talking about the hollow hoax. The fact is, you weren't there, and you don't know what happened for certain. Now, people don't like to think along these lines, but this is always true. If they go to Antarctica, uh, you're trusting somebody. If they go to the moon, you're trusting somebody. You don't know for sure. If it's a diary from a 16th century Spanish explorer, you're trusting somebody. How do you know that he even wrote that thing? Well, you don't. You see that? You, you have, and you have no way of knowing. Um, same with what the um, Inquisition told us about. You know, the Inquisition said, uh, here's what happened with this group of Cathars. And here was their uh, prescribed punishment. But you don't even know if this even happened. And you have no way of knowing. You see that? And people don't want to acknowledge this, but this is this is the way it is. <clears throat> now, what was I talking about there um, just before that? Um, you remember, Michael? Well, you bounced. You were covered quite a bit, so I'm not quite sure. <laughs> um, you, were, you were talking about Antarctica, and then you were talking about. Uh, well, I was just showing that we, we don't have certainty about those kind of things. Right. Um, I was relating this somehow to uh, the Christian. Oh, the okay, the hollow. Yeah, the Holocaust. Okay, I'm glad we got back to that. Okay. The Illuminati will always push extreme positions. And then you will have an undiscussed middle. Uh, a pattern of an undiscussed middle all through history. If people could understand that one thing, they could identify propaganda. You know why? Because it's proven through redundant mathematical patterns. And what did I say earlier about mathematics? It's the most reliable science. Redundant mathematical patterns. They were pushed the polarizing errors. The truth is commonly found in the middle. How many people talk about this? And Dave talks about learning how to think straight. Well, that has a lot to do with it right there. If you can't even figure that out, that the truth is commonly found in the middle, the reason people don't think about this is because they don't understand that social engineers are out there creating theological propaganda as a weapon. Obviously, they would be motivated to do that. And propaganda about everything else that has to do with your reality that they think is important. They have the resources, and they will be sufficiently motivated to do precisely that. <clears throat> okay, so do you think they would have done that about uh, the Holocaust? Well, of course. Uh, the main thing I want to uh, point out is something I said before. What was going on there, the primary purpose was to create worldwide sympathy for, uh, for Zionism. Now stop and think about that, because that's exactly what happened. You notice how you can't say anything about uh, the Jews that isn't politically correct, 
you have to talk in a certain way. Or they'll say, you're an anti-Semite. Right? And this is one of the unquestioned doctrines in Western culture, which is why in Germany or Canada, I believe it's in Canada, they have people sitting in jails because they spoke against the, the Holocaust. You didn't say the right thing. You didn't agree with uh, what we said. We're going to punish you. Uh, to illustrate for the rest of society that you can't do that. You see? Now, what does that tell you if you're thinking conspiratorially? And don't, remember now, people don't think conspiratorially. You do. But other people don't. They don't think there's conspiracies everywhere. They don't think there's really conspiracies. They don't even think about conspiracies. That's the na- main thing you need to remember these people are thinking on a day-to-day basis about trivial things and trivial concerns. They don't want to think about conspiracies. To them, they don't value knowledge. That is something that's negative, negative information. I don't want to hear about that. Get away from me. Because they got this little manufactured bubble of pleasantry, largely manufactured by the social engineers, by the way, and they don't want to burst. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. That's why... <clears throat> On my show, we talk about, you know, crashing your reality. Because uh, knowledge is a weapon, and you can crash somebody's reality really fast. If you know, if you have the knowledge, you know what to do with it. And it's not necessarily a good idea to do that. Just like it's not a good idea if you're an obese person that's highly toxic to start eating and going on a fruit diet. Because you're going to detoxify too fast. you got to know how to deprogram people and... Uh, God's the best deprogrammer around, and uh, but it has to be somewhat gradual. I mean, you can shock people. You know I mean, you can shock people with theology. I've, I'm not going to part- uh, point out to uh, particular doctrines, but um, <clears throat> I've uh, kind of um, emphasized certain um, teachings of the Protestant reformers that the modern mind, which has been influenced by secular humanist propaganda, uh, can't really process, because you're at the center of your own little universe, you know, and you're the most important thing. Because this will bring that... Well, you're talking about, you know, total depravity. And I've seen people's Christian faith become weak. Uh, they actually believed it, but it um, affected them on an emotional level that was negative. Because they needed time. So if you're going to change your diet, you need a preparatory diet, and you need to... Uh, I'm talking about ideally. You don't want to shock people. Just throw around knowledge as a weapon, you know. I can crash your reality, you know what I mean? <clears throat> like, for instance, if you show somebody the artificial night sky, you may not want to tell them the significance of that right away. That's later, and that's actually what's more important, where you can infallibly prove that all of our, we live in a system of control, uh, because there's no uh, institutions that are talking about this, and there's no experts, there's no astronomers, there's, there's nobody. So that means that the information is controlled, and we live in a system of control. Well, that can shock a person, you know, because that's hey, like... Brother. Hey, brother, yeah. you, probably, you probably should nip it in the bottom okay. here. 
get close to four now. Let me let me say something real quick about the hall the hall hall uh, cost. But that was uh, you can see how that was being used, an important stage, leading up to the um, manifestation of this false Israel and a false millennium. You see that? See how important stage that was? Because it did create worldwide sympathy for what we'll say false Zionism, because there is a biblical Zionism. So that's it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, folks. I just sent. So you... I, real quick, I hold a middle position on the on the on the the Holocaust. Here's the thing: anything that's important historically, they will have. And this is kind of a simplified term. They'll have significant fakery. You're not going to get the straight truth about anything. I agree with that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, because folks, anybody who doesn't know, we're talking today. Uh, you can find his uh, show on talkshoe.com. Out of uh, darkness into light. Thank you. Out of darkness into light. And uh, Dave, uh, I've enjoyed my time with you, bro. Uh, I sense folks a uh, couple images of today with Pope Francis and Obama. In particular, the last image that I sent to you is an image of both Pope standing on the right side. I got my name, yes. Yes, right side of, of Obama with the American and the flood, the papal flag, the Vatican flag, on the same grounds as they stare at the obelisk and worship it. Yep. It's very profound statement. I hope you can recognize this statement. It doesn't happen every day. In fact, I would argue might be the first time. I can't remember if Benedict did the same thing or not. Very symbolic of the corporation that you live in. You do live in a Roman Catholic corporation. You never lived in a Christian country. And there are very few of us that are actually believers at this point. By the way, the truth in life, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is a perfect example of what the world has gone through for thousands of years. Marriage, church, and state. And I reassure you, a lot of hurt and pain is coming. <laughs> so get right with God, stay right with God, do the best you can in this wicked system. Hey Michael, real quick, did you know that you can access the the, uh, the chat after the show? Yes, I can. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they have. If you just uh, they have what's called they actually have more than one of them, but you can just put TalkShoe Chat Grabber in a search engine, and just put in the name, uh, the call ID of the room, and you can access the chat. So we, there's you know some links in there. So.
Hey, you still there? Yeah. Are you still there? Yeah, I am. That just got dropped. Let's end oh, this I recording, thought. okay? We're going to just end the recording, folks, but we can still stay on here and talk. Yeah. All right. All right. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.